Welcome everyone to the podcast that has been a de- that has been deemed essential business in 50 states and around the world. This is WWF the Legacy Series, and this is WrestleMania three. I have been told that a time in baseball, Babe Ruth stepped to the plate and pointed to the fence, called his shot, and hit a home run. I do not know. That's not my jurisdiction. That's not my field. But I do know, after watching WrestleMania three in 1987, that Vince McMahon stepped to the plate, called his shot. Everything that WWF would be, for better and worse, is it embodied in WrestleMania one? Are there celebrities? Is it larger than life? Yes, it is. Is it embodied in WrestleMania 2? Are there celebrities? Is it larger than life? Uh, But WrestleMania 3 has this feeling that whether you're watching it back 30 years later or if you are on the ground that day, that everybody knows this is the culmination of everything. This is us Coming into our fullness. This is professional wrestling stretching its wings and becoming that sports entertainment thing that uh, transcend the wrestling world. Get out of your box. Make everybody uh, pay attention moment. This is a show that you cannot go one hour without either bumping into Roddy Piper versus Adrian Adonis or Ricky Steamboat versus Randy Savage, or Hulk Hogan versus Andre the Giant. Friends, we have arrived at a historical point in this Legacy Series. I am still, first and foremost, a fan of the products I can engage with, and part of this deal feels like something that you're supposed to just sit back and experience spectacle and pomp and affect. But even I have to say... I would not want to be the owner of any wrestling promotion when WrestleMania 3 hit. What do you do with this thing? Because it is larger than life. The vision of being larger than life is larger than that. And we are here and we're going to call it, ladies and gentlemen, I am the mystic and I am joined by my friend and co-host, by God, my learned colleague, Mr. Miz Fan, The Brain. Greetings, Miz fan fans, and welcome to WrestleMania 3. That is one of the biggest events of all time. You're talking about spectacle. You're talking about the embodiment of what the WWF would be in this time, everything they've been working towards, and all the time that we've been covering them from WrestleMania 1 right up to now. A lot is different even in that short period of time a lot is bigger certainly the crowd is bigger ridiculously large crowd no matter how many people you think are in that audience and it's definitely a spectacle that can just wash over you it's wrestlemania 3 Woo! it's a it's a big a big event to have reached it is everything that andre the giant is as a challenger WrestleMania three is as is as an event. And I, just you talk about this online already. 
And we've talked about in WCW, the Legacy Series, our love for the raised ramp. So another thing I love is the outdoor arena, where, as you mentioned, it can be light for half of the show, and then all of a sudden it starts to get dark in the uh, around the building. Yes, sir. I always had a uh, soft spot for all the Road Wild events, as uh, poorly conceived as they might have been, because I love, I love sunlight hitting professional wrestling. Uh, there's just something about it that's very special to me. Yeah. yeah. We are we live in the era where we debunk the 93,000. Like, oh, that wasn't 93,000. Dave Meltzer said this. They lived in the era where they made you think they had 93,000, whether they did or not. And Jesse Ventura, Gorilla Monsoon, even the celebrities. I'm going to praise celebrities on this show because... They seemed excited, and they called the action pretty well in the match that they called. But every I don't know how much is me uh, just reading into it because I know what this event means in history, but it really does feel like from the jump that they know that they are standing in that moment. They definitely found a couple of good ones in uh, Bob Uecker and Mary Hart, better than some of the ones yeah. we've seen at previous WrestleMania. Certainly more interested, seemingly, in being there. Yeah, they did a good job with it. Uh, this is, this is, uh, um, that, that, that spectacle. I don't know how much we can believe about it, uh, that comes from Hulk Hogan. We all know, uh, how factually correct he is. He claims, he claims that he didn't, he didn't fully know if Andre the Giant was going to win or not. Uh, I don't, I don't give any credence to these, uh, I, I've heard all that and yeah, oh, um, Andre might not have let me win and all my back tour and there were over a hundred thousand people and it registered on the Richter scale and none of, so none know, of that. I don't believe it at all. Maybe okay. it's true. Who knows? I don't know. I, I don't believe it. Fair enough. So uh, judging now we're three WrestleManias in, how did, how would you put this one next to the two that we have called? I mean, it blows it away, right? Like it kind of has to, uh, it's an event that knows what it is better in its event that is maturing into um, putting out matches which are more meaningful, which are more exciting. You know, there was some good stuff at WrestleMania 2, but nothing really like this. You know, it just, it feels like the first real WrestleMania, um, which is probably why it's looked back on uh, as such an important event, or one of many reasons. I think that's the absolute, an absolute takeaway is that you cannot overlook how they maxed out feuds, personalities, and matches because you could just as easily call WrestleMania 1 everything we're calling WrestleMania 3 because it really did a bunch of things that had never been done before that fit the vision of Vince McMahon and WWF going forward. The difference is this event takes that and it perfects upon it times one million. Uh I will get the Steamboat Savage, but a lot of people call that the greatest match in WrestleMania, the greatest match in history. And no, what what would you even pretend to call on WrestleMania one or two that? And then you get a Piper who the Piper Adonis feud is as good as anything on this show. It's underrated severely for what Adonis could have been, but it's also Piper going away. Like he is maxed out to the point he can leave the promotion. And Hogan and Andre. Is historic in ways that it's hard to even understand. So this event, it doesn't do one thing right beyond what the others do. It does about 10,000 things right <laughs> beyond it. 
That's uh, definitely true. And I also think we're seeing here the full realization of, like, WrestleMania 1, we talked about at the time, I remember, is basically, it was almost like a commercial for, like, hey, the WWF is a thing that you can all know about now, and we're going to take over the country, and you can come see us live, and here's, like, sort of a taste of what you can see. And also we have celebrities and, you know, blah, 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 blah. WrestleMania 2, a little more involved, but it's still, like, kind of, oh, well, here's a bunch of random matches, and a couple of them are important, but basically, you know, we're just advertising that we're the WWF. Here, they're not advertising for anything else. This is the product. This is the show. This is, like, the biggest thing that you can be part of, that you can attend, that you can order, uh, that you can know about. This is where I think WrestleMania became the most important thing rather than, like, the all-important house show, which was still enormous in this era, but now we have something that actually surpassed that. That is absolutely spot on. I think it's it's the idea versus the embodied, and you can see that in Hulk Hogan versus King Kong Bundy is the idea of Hulk Hogan versus Andre. Hogan and Andre is the embodied uh, experience of it. One of them is, you know, oh, Hulk Hogan versus really big guy, and he must, you know, prevail and see if he can slam this guy. Uh, Hogan and Andre is the embodiment of this is it. Like, it doesn't feel like it's scripted to anyone in there. They don't know if Hulk Hogan can do to Andre what he did to King Kong Bundy, whereas... Yeah, you you know, you kind of know with Hogan and Bundy what's going to happen. Whereas uh, uh, until Andre goes down, even watching it in the past, you know, I think that the whole thing is embodied by, you know, this is a a doing Savage and Steamboat. To hear the way Jesse Ventura talks about Savage and Steamboat directly after the match is over, you know, they just know that they are, that they are firing on every cylinder and that they are there. And man, they, it's a victory lap. Is what it is. Yeah, it, it really is. Um, and there, too, you can see, like, at WrestleMania 2, it was, what, Savage against George Steele and yeah. Steamboat yeah. against, I can't even remember, you know? So yeah. you, you just got, um, you've got actual payoff matches here beyond just the title match, and the title match itself is, like, a payoff beyond any payoff that you could have yeah. thought of before, so... Uh, at least, at least in the few years of WrestleMania history that they've been doing, it is absolutely that uh, it will be Gorilla Monsoon and Jesse on call. Though Vince McMahon is in the ring, and you can just tell again that he is soaking up his moment. Aretha Franklin is going to perform. It's all that WrestleMania stuff, you know, celebrities all around. It's the one thing about Vince McMahon, whether you like him, don't like him, whether you like his vision or don't like his vision, he made a thing in this world come to pass. And like half of it is going to be the reason I can't watch wrestling for 20 years. But by, by God, did he ever. Vision is insane. Like when I'm watching Jake Roberts and Honky Tonk Man and this character and that character, I'm like, who are these people? Where did they come from? Like he populated. It's like a Looney Tunes or a Disney you know, meets pro wrestling. It, it really, really, really was always what he said it was. And I give him some credence because he, I used to get irritated when there's that story where Ted Turner called him and, you know, he makes it clear, like, you're in the, you're in the wrestling business. I'm in the sports entertainment. But this man really, 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 
really was always in the sports entertainment business. And that isn't always a bad thing. You know, there's no. a lot of sports entertainment that I love. I, I wish the uh, difference didn't have to be pressed home so hard. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I think it's fair to give a lot of credit to Vince McMahon. Uh, he had a lot of help, and uh, yes. he did a lot of stealing. But still, he bet on himself, he had a vision, and he made it come to pass. And, you know, it, we've talked about it before, it was never guaranteed. You look back now, and it looks, well, of course that happened. How could anything different happen? But lots of different things could have happened. Um, and uh, there was a tremendous amount of hard work and vision that made sure this event actually succeeded on such a monumental level. Yeah. Gorilla Monsoon and Jesse Ventura are larger are more larger than life than a lot of professional wrestlers today. And they are the announcers for the show. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, what great personalities. Uh, I, I have a lot of love for both of these guys, and they uh, mesh together extremely well. We'll be talking a lot about them. I also want to give a shout-out to someone who's in the ring at the start of this show, Howard Finkel, who yes. just passed away, uh, one of the greatest ring announcers ever, someone I, I was always happy to see pop up. Uh, I don't think I have the same nostalgic connection that some people do, but still, I mean, you've got to love Howard Finkel. How can you not? <laughs> yeah, Howard Finkel is someone that you just ask, like, what else in this world were they meant to do other than what they were doing? Because I'm the same. Like, I have, I don't have that felt like that. This is not my my promotion, but that voice transcends everything, and it does it so confidently and almost laid back like he's not overdoing it he's simply that's what howard finkel sounds like doing howard finkel which becomes the voice of several decades um it's sad it is tragic um and it was weird to like get that news that he's passed away and then be watching this thing where he is in his youth in his full frame and they're all coming into their moment together Absolutely. He's another one, um, kind of like Gene Okerlund, where he was yeah. just perfect for the role that he was in, above and beyond what most people are in that role. Um, he's iconic. He's awesome. Um, and, and we miss him already. Yeah. And this is part of the reason that we do the Legacy Series. If someone can pass away and leave this great big hole in the heart of the wrestling world, I love that we pay tribute to them, but there's another way to pay tribute other than just saying when someone passes away that we miss them. It is going back to the work that they do and honoring this stuff day in and day out, week in and week out. They matter so much at the end of their journey because they did so much that mattered throughout their journey. And again, you'll see that if you watch this. Like Gene Oakland will come in the ring later and he's standing beside Howard Finkel and I was really like, what what characters what 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 life is in that ring with Howard Finkel and Mean Gene Okerlund? So these are all people who are just fascinating in the wrestling uh, world. Yeah, and they're all people who are so um, bought in to what the WWF is. They're they're part of the yeah. fabric of it. You don't have people who are just sort of like along for the ride. I mean, I'm sure you do, but they're not apparent uh, even in the small roles or the roles that people don't think about. You have people who are just WWF to their very core. Yeah, I think that's so important. It's, it angers me when I'm on the other side of it. But when we sit in this bubble, like, again, as you said, 
how much of this is because so many people were bought into the same vision, believed in it, and birthed it. Because it takes, it's a three-hour show, so it takes more than Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant to make this happen. And again, like I said, there'll be some matches that are the kind of stuff that kept me away, and there'll be some matches that are not. But again, I show that you can't go an hour without hitting the three matches that I talked about. This is a big deal, 1987's WrestleMania 3. Mm-hmm. Yes, let's start the show. Okay, so Jesse Ventura and Gorilla Monsoon are with Mary Hart and Bob Euchre, and um, uh, Jesse says that he is pumped up, and Mary Hart says, I can tell you're pumped up. Standing this close, you can tell a lot of things. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but, you know, interesting commentary. <laughs> these are, the um, yeah, you, you made a good call. These two celebrities, uh, who are the main ones they use here, are very... Yeah. Um, charming. I don't know if that's the right word, yeah. but like they're engaged and I don't know, they're into it. And I, I like it. It helps me. What a difference it makes. We'll, we'll get we'll get to WrestleMania 11, but what a difference it makes to have celebrities that actually want to be there. And it kind of just goes with the moment. I think maybe when you're winning everything, you know, people come along with that spirit. And then, you know, when it's going downhill, you get kind of what you're going to get later. But right now it's WrestleMania 3 and we kick off this grand event in front of so many people with the Can-Am connection going up against Don Morocco and Bob Orton. Uh, it's my man, Rick Martell. I'm so happy to see him here. It's our old uh, enemy, Tom Zank from WCW, mm-hmm. the Legacy Series, who caused us some consternation at times. Um, I'm excited to see some of the Can-Am connection. I can't remember. I feel like they don't last that long. But I'll tell you, watching through episodes like week to week of, of Wrestling Challenge for the Heenan series, the Can-Am Connection is totally like the pre-Rockers. Like, they came in and their matches, even like the short little matches, were very fast-paced, very exciting. They stood out a lot uh, compared to the people around them. And... You know, they won't uh, probably get a lot of credit for that, but I, I do like the Can-Am connection a lot. A lot of that is just Rick Martel, but they really, they stood out. They don't really have any narrative, but they stood out uh, a lot in this time, so I really got to give them credit. Yeah, this is an era where people definitely, moving at a faster pace was not even a thought that people had started to have in this era. So when you see people start to do these drop kicks and to move really fast and to run around the ring... I do think it is a uh, precursor to things that are to come. I think it's a good call. I had also noted in my notes uh, the pace of this team. So you're definitely seeing something that's a little before its time. And probably partly why it's not fully going to work out is the fact that it's a little before its time. And plus Z-Man. WWF is so big. This is why we got things like I think the Z-Man thought when he was go- when he went to WCW that he was going to be a world champion. And I think he was pissed off with how he was handled. You know, because anyone who worked in this company, <laughs> anyone thought that they were automatically a world champion if they were left it. So He was um, he was pissed off everywhere, I think, because uh, yeah. I don't think we'll see it, but he leaves the company very quickly, and they bury him unbelievably mm-hmm. on television. They're like, oh, this coward left our company because he was too afraid and he couldn't keep up. And, like, everyone just piles up. Like, you can hear probably Gorilla Monsoon just, like, taking the piss out of this guy and how much he sucks. So 
So, yeah, I don't know. Tom Zank uh, seemed to have a bad attitude a lot of the time. But uh, who knows what happened backstage, what caused that. But uh, yeah. he definitely had problems wherever he went. He was definitely set up for success, though, because even in this one, imagine being able to say, hey, we kicked off WrestleMania 3 and we got we got the victory at WrestleMania 3, which I don't know if I expected that or not, so, you know. Yeah, they get the win here over uh, Don Morocco and Cowboy Bob, who uh, who went his own way after Roddy Piper turned face. Um, they're a fun team, too. I thought, you know, this this opener won't, uh, you know, it's not Owen versus Brett or anything, but it, it's a very decent, it's a fun opener. I liked it. And, well, it's pitted well. You got two guys who are just like brutal and want to beat you down versus two guys who can run and move and, you know, so it's set up well. And then it sets up the the rhetoric for the rest of the night, if not the rest of the careers of Jesse Ventura and Gorilla Monsoon about what is legal and what is not legal. And if the baby face is doing something illegal or if the heel is doing something illegal because there is a schoolboy on the cross body and Jesse Ventura says they shouldn't have been in the ring that long. That's the illegal double team. The other guy's partner was in the ring. And it really sets up every match to come, I think, for the rest of the night. <laughs> Jesse Ventura um, has a great ability, and we talked about it before. He calls things the way he sees them. He calls them in a very authentic way, but he doesn't do it in such a way that it disrupts the product. Uh, it doesn't sit back and make you say, well, that that makes no sense. Yeah. I'm, like, taken out of it. But, no, he calls it in a way, like here – oh, they're in the ring too long, but he blames it on the referee, or he has, like, some yep. explanation for why it fits in this world that doesn't make you, doesn't take you out of the match. Yeah, they both do well with that, because they'll, they'll, they'll always be like, oh, well, I thought managers were not supposed to put their hands on people, but they're helping, uh, George Steele's helping Steamboat back in the ring, and uh, Girl of Monsoon will be like, well, he's not a manager, he's a friend. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh, there's some beautiful uh, babyface privilege moments on here. It is, oh, but it, is that justification though? Of, instead of just saying like that's not in the script, we don't do that. You know, right? It's actually, yeah, yeah. You got to go with it. You got to figure it out because there is a there's a world with laws and rules, and if it's happening, there has to be some justification. And you know, listen, listen, babyface brigade. If you know, if you're listening. If you're listening soberly and watching soberly, you know that both sides are biased. So you understand that both sides are stretching reality a little bit, but they're they're doing it in a way that supposedly, if you wanted to, justifies what's happening. Absolutely. Um, there's such a priority in not convincing people that it's so really real, but just keeping the logic of the world together, uh, you know, more or less. Uh, and it's something that I think works very well in the context of what it is. Yeah. So we go to the back. Gene Okerlund is with the great Hercules and the great Bobby the Brain Heenan. And I knew that this Hercules had something amazing. We've said it before, but I did not know that he pulled down the pillars of Rome and he made Samson cower at his feet, Ms. Van. Uh, yes, Hercules... Um not just the actual Hercules, apparently, but also like going into different other mythologies yeah. and ancient stories. So Why not? who knew? Who knew? These guys, I don't even. This is what I was trying to say, and I did not know how to say it. That we don't have enough lenses uh, to to call eighties WWF. What do you say 
to the fact that Hercules uh, pulled down the pillars of Rome and even visited with Samson and made that man cower at his feet. Like that is, it's all, they all have their claims. I don't care if you're a heel, baby face, they have their claims that are not only of this world, but beyond it. And a lot of times, if you just sit back, you kind of think they might be telling the truth. <laughs> I, for one, did not expect that Hercules would claim that he was uh, in the Bible, but here <laughs> it is, you know. Here it is. <laughs> look him up. I want to tell you that it's different. Go ahead. Just look him up, I guess. Uh, yeah. Chapter and verse. I think the difference between Billy Jack Haynes and Hercules is I believe that of one of them and I don't of the other. Uh, Billy Jerk Haynes. You gotta love it. Yes, really <laughs> that because they're they're the same in a way. One's got a tan, one doesn't, but they're great big guys. You know, they're very muscular. But man, one of them has that lore, and one of them has that transcendent uh, feel. And to me, I'm sorry, just one of them, at least in the roles that I'm watching him right now, does not. I don't know how Billy Jack Haynes got into the WWF. Like, I don't know how he snuck past security. Because we're talking about, yeah, it's an era where everyone is a character and people have outlandish claims. And here you have a guy from Oregon in a hat. And that's yeah. like, there's nothing to this guy. He's, there's nothing to Billy Jack Haynes. I don't, I don't know why he's here. <laughs> I don't know who let him in. He's here, unfortunately. Even the emphasis on Oregon, like how many people in this promotion claim like, oh, I'm a part of a local part of one country. <laughs> like we, we just specified what Hercules is and this guy is a regional guy. Right. Like who would say that at WrestleMania three? Like what, what in the world are you, are you aiming for? Right. Because there's nothing else that Vincent man, I'm sure despises more than you being known for your little regional experience that happened. So I don't know why did they just forget to give him a gimmick when he came through the door? I don't know, but one thing I also want to say, I can see Hercules in the NWA during the Lex Luger 80s U.S. title runs. I think Hercules would have been nice there. But, you know, that's, did, you, did you know that Hercules was a super invader? I did know that, yes. Okay. I did not know that. <laughs> or I did and I forgot one or the other. I mean, Here. most people probably don't remember Super Invader existed. Um, he didn't get a lot to do in that character. But, yes, I, I did remember that he was there. Okay. I, Billy Jack okay, Haynes might have been one of those weird characters too. Is that Pond Black Blood? Maybe is that somebody? It could. Yeah. Be. It yeah. Could. All right. Fair enough. Um. Yeah. So this matchup, you know, you got two people who are going to try to bully one another. You know, and again, you go back and watch it at home and make your own judgments, like we always say on the show. But I, I I came in with a feeling and a thought and a perspective and it was it did not shift uh, an ounce uh, in this matchup. <laughs> uh, yep, this is a pretty basic match. Uh, kind of is what it is. The finish is Billy Jack Haynes being either an idiot or a dick uh, because yeah. he just takes Herc out to the floor and puts him in a full Nelson and they just they both get counted out. And that I the biggest event of his whole career, and I guess that's how he wanted to end it. I don't know. He's, he's still holding on. So Bobby Heenan kicks him in the back, so he will let go, which he should have done anyway. And um, and you gotta love Heenan. You got ninety three thousand uh, theoretical people chanting Weasel, so yeah. you gotta appreciate that. Yeah, this is also the beginning of an entire night of just poor sportsmanship. 
to to an unprecedented degree by babyfaces and justifications because they cannot lose. Jesse and Terry will say eventually, like, why can't they just accept the outcome of a match? Because if you do not win, then you have to you have to just embarrass and beat up everybody after the match and shame on you for it. Bobby Heaton, what a night! Because Bobby Heaton will invade the announce booth in a little while and just put over the expectation that he is going to be the manager of the world champion by the end of the night. And that just that urgency just does a lot uh, to carry the importance of the main event. Mm, yep. He has a great night. He is all over this card, uh, managing, like you said, running up to the booth, changing from one awesome outfit into another one. Uh, it's a great night for Bobby Heenan, as most Bobby Heenan nights are, but this one in particular. Yeah. yeah. And so next up we got Bundy. Um, <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, six-man tag uh, against Hillbilly Jim, and then we got Little Tokyo. Um, All the little people. Yeah. yeah. We don't need to. Uh, King Kong Bundy, yeah, poor guy, goes from the main event to this match in one year. That'll teach you to go out and make money for yourself without Vince McMahon's permission. Yeah, it's, it's sad how far he fell. Because as I said last week, I just feel like he has something just in his face. You can tell that he's got something. And this matchup. To me, I was dreading it, but the, the action is, it's again, it, it might be the only other fast-paced match, um, <laughs> or one of, the, one of the only. And again, it's a ridiculous thing, though, because there's, there's certain rules for this matchup, and that is that Bundy and Hillbilly Jim have to be in the ring together, and then uh, everyone else has to be in the ring together. And Bundy abides by the rules. His opponents do not abide by the rules. And then he gets upset about it, and he gets punished uh, legally, uh, for not just allowing it to happen to him. Yeah, the strange little beaver and all these—they they keep going after Hated him. Kid. Like they won't leave him yeah. alone. Uh, it's yeah. harassment, man. It is. It's breaking the rules, and there's no there's no count. There's no admonishing. It is just oh well, that's fun. And then King Kong Bunny says, oh, that's how we're doing it. So we'll do it like that, and he gets disqualified. Yeah, I, my lord. <laughs> Ventura even points out they're like, oh, they're 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 doing illegal things. They're cheating. And Gorilla Monsoon says, yeah, but it was fun. Well, maybe it's fun <laughs> for the heels when they cheat too. Yes. You dang baby faces. Oh my god. I quite enjoyed it when when King Kong Bundy asserted himself. <laughs> I found it fun. At some point, yeah. He, I don't know if you can blame him. You know, he's being harassed relentlessly. So. Hillbilly Jim, um, I don't know how much we'll see of him, but I, I got a feeling that he is a version that I dislike a lot less. But I think he's another one of um, someone that we're going to see later in the show. I don't want to ruin the rest of my mood. Oh but All right. <laughs> there is someone who I forgot is going to be in this series a lot, who we also saw in WCW, who, oh, dear God. Well, we'll get to it when it gets here. I can't say his name. Sorry, bothering me. He's not wrestling. He's just involving himself. But anyway. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I know who you mean. I was sad to yeah. see him as well. Um, that's a pretty good comparison. We'll get, yeah, I'd take Hillbilly Jim, certainly. I would too. <laughs> I 
that's why I want to make that clear. But I think it's that same behavior where like, oh gosh, he doesn't know what he's doing, but but what he's doing is always like advantageous to himself. So I I think he does know what he's doing, and I think we just allow it, even though it's not right. Okay, I think we got some. Oh yes, okay. So Mary Hart is going to talk to Liz because Liz never gets any shine. Liz never gets any talk, and she has figured that out, and she's going to have a conversation with Miss Elizabeth, except here comes the Intercontinental Champion. That dastardly Randy Savage interrupts. He makes it about himself. He points out that he's got a championship. How dare you, Randy Savage? (laughs) Yeah, nobody had much luck uh, interviewing Miss Elizabeth whenever they tried, so celebrity or not, it's not going to work out too well. Uh, and that's probably for the benefit of everyone, because if you've ever heard Elizabeth cut a promo, uh, it doesn't go too well. So Randy no, Savage, gotta, really to the rescue here, let's be honest. Yeah, and he tells us fascinating is the word of the day, and enthusiasm is uh, where I go. <laughs> okay. okay. I just love the energy oh, yeah. of this thing. It's so good. And Randy Savage and Ricky Steamboat are about to do something amazing. And it just, we'll get into it, but it only hit me when I started watching the match that we are watching fire versus fire. And I think a lot of the pace and style of the match is because you have two fire elements against each other and it means certain things. And you're already seeing it because bursts of energy, like animated action. Randy Savage is ready. And we will build our way to that matchup. But right now, I think we got, yeah, we got Harley Race, the king. Um, I'm, I'm excited to talk about Harley and JYD. We'll see where that goes. Uh, thoughts, Ms. Fan? Uh, well, yeah, we do have the king, Harley Race. And uh, I think the, the, the king gimmick is kind of seen as maybe a little too stupid for Harley Race, uh, historically. And I, I get that. You know, here's a man who had every legitimate accolade in wrestling that he could possibly want, and yet uh, in the WWF, he kind of has to wear a crown and be goofy. But you know what? He's Harley Race. He's past his prime, but he's very entertaining. Uh, he bumps like a, a crazy man whenever he gets the chance. Uh, he has some good matches, even in this era. I'm a big fan of Harley Race. I'm glad we can talk about him someday. I gotta watch more of this man in his prime. I know that for sure. Yeah, I don't think anybody moves better in the history of professional wrestling than Harley Race. Oh, that's uh, high praise. I like it though. He's at the end of his career, and I was just mesmerized by his motions. <laughs> like I, I can't even explain it because it's, it's it 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 is. Somewhat graceful and somewhat the opposite of that. Like when he when he when he sells, it's like stiff as a board, like flipping over type things. <laughs> but I thought this was a good pairing. I would have loved to see JYD maybe even win this for a while because I think that would have been like an amazing moment in time. And I think it would have angered Harley Race. You got people. You got a lot of not pulling the trigger still at WrestleMania 3, where Harley Race can't beat JYD, but JYD can't beat Harley Race. <laughs> well, uh, I think. Like I said, the house show is still kind of all important. So, you know, come yeah. buy a ticket and you'll probably see him beat him for real. You know, that's that's where they're still making the bulk of their money. So you can't entirely blame them. It makes me wonder if Flair has stayed past his five minutes in WWF and his two world title reigns 
and Vince was already done with them. And Brett was not going to be king of the ring, and they were not going to make that a for real event. If they were in 93, they would have just made Flair the king for the rest of his time until he left the company. <laughs> I can I can see it happening, for sure. Uh, a lot of weird things could have happened to Flair if he stuck around, I think. Yeah, because this is – I don't care. There's a lot of bullshit. The, the more Bruce Pritchard defends something that can't be defended, the more I know it is absolute, like, petty bullshit. And, like, a bunch of these gimmicks – they were making fun of Dusty Rhodes a lot of the time, no matter what he says, and you did not make the King Harley race the King Harley race for any reason other than just to say, hey, you know, this is be be satisfied, you know. And he's probably lucky he was the King Harley race. I'll put it that way. The WWF. Uh, yeah, I mean, it certainly could have been worse. Uh, you got to do some good work and got some good money. Uh. And, you know, for better or worse, now we're talking about him on a show like this, like he's in the consciousness, and if he had just uh, yeah. stopped after his prime, I think uh, less people would know who he was, and that would be sad. I think he's going to end his career in a spot with Hulk Hogan that we'll get to see uh, this year. His um, WWF career, anyway, you know, yeah. uh, notwithstanding, coming to WCW <laughs> for a couple matches and then managing the man Vader for uh, a good number of uh, years. <laughs> I think they have a table spot. I'm not well, they sure. do. I remember it very well. So we should uh, we should get to it on some Saturday night's main yeah. event, I think. So uh, this matchup, again, you know, a grudge matchup. It's uh, JYD trying to um, take the take the, that all-important crown uh, from Harley Race. Harley Race trying to hold on to it. And, you know, you get your back and forth, uh, these two men clobber each other, some headbutts, some in the ring, some out of the ring. But ultimately, you're not going to get a, a, a real um, a real solid ending here. No, not really. Um, Harley Race uh, wins very suddenly off a, a distraction from Bobby Heenan. Um, so there is actually a winner. It's not a disqualification or a count out or anything like that. Um but uh, you get the post-match, which is really what everyone was waiting for anyway, I think. Yeah. Um, JYD is supposed to bow to Harley Race, even though he doesn't believe in kings in America. Uh, Jesse Ventura <laughs> says, well, if he's a man of his word, he'll bow like he said he would. And JYD oh. gives a, like, a crappy little bow and then hits Harley Race with a chair and Harley's bumping around. And, uh, of course, like you said... Nobody can just lose their match if they're a baby yeah. face. They gotta, they gotta make it right. They gotta enact their own justice afterwards. Yeah, because the whole match is, is predicated on the loser having to do this, and then it doesn't really happen. So, again, you know, does that settle anything? And I don't know how you settle something. Like, if you want to be in a feud in 1987 and win it, and you're a heel, and this might be why Bobby Heenan feuded with Hogan for so long because there's no such thing. Like. <laughs> It doesn't end until you lose and that you accept you've lost. Like there is no such thing as the babyface losing and accepting a loss, so it just can't end. What a frustrating time to be alive for these poor heels. Jesus, this is a weird one. Vince McMahon is with Hulk Hogan. Oh yeah, yeah. So uh, Hulk Hogan despises people who think that uh, it's his last ride, who thinks he might lose. Yeah. He's going to make Andre face 
the truth, and he challenges Andre to beat up every little Hulkster who never, ever takes shortcuts like Hogan constantly does. Uh, he says Hulkamania is the purest form of truth that's out there. And uh, this is the language of a cult leader, so here we go. It is. Hulk Hogan is a great divider. So he says he was hanging and banging and all these non-believers in the gym. So already you got these markers. And we're, he, said he does another promo, and watch for these markers. So you got the non-believers in the gym who are saying, like, oh, you can't beat Andre. And they don't understand because they are what? Non-believers. They are lost they are the damned, they are the condemned, they are on their way to their eternal judgment, and nothing that they say matters. But Hulk Hogan understands, in great Hulk Hogan rhetoric, that all he has to do is beat a giant. But the giant, you understand, has to beat all the Hulkamaniacs, and has to beat purity itself, and has to beat truth. So in reality... There is an underdog, and that's Andre the Giant, because all Hulk Hogan has to do as he continues to walk in pureness and truth is to be the giant. <laughs> Hulk Hogan I will um, just, kind of has a persecution ahead. complex, I think. These people always find him to tell him that he's going to lose. And uh, I don't know. Did do they find him, or does Hogan find these people? Do they really exist? That's my question. I'm about to say, they do, number one, they do not exist. <laughs> I'll say that factually. And that's to his credit, partly because, you know, that's a hell of a thing. Like, psychology-wise, that he creates these monsters that always make him the villain who has to come back. And he will make a career on hulking up, which is the comeback. And it, it starts in his rhetoric and psychology, even outside of matches. So, he created a very specific lane. And it, it is... All right, so... Oh, God... In one way, it's really remarkable because we got to the end of this show. This, the, at the time, I think it's the biggest show in a lot of ways that there had ever been. And it blew my mind when Hulk Hogan came out that all of this is predicated around a world title match where the babyface is already the champion and he's simply going to retain his belt. Yeah. Like, because of the, the lies and the build and all this, this, all this stuff around Hulk Hogan and Andre in the match, like, it really took me till he came out to say, oh, my God, this is just a babyface who's been champion for three years simply coming out and retaining his belt. Like, you don't see that now. Like, you have to have, like, now, like, the belt will change hands and it's somebody's dream. Another person's going to die and one person's going to be ran over and the event <laughs> sometimes is still going to suck. Sure, yeah. So, there's, there's something there to... um to say about that. And poor, I think that's the reason Hogan beats Andre in a way is because Andre seems to be too decent. Like he's like, he knows he's a big guy and he knows he deserves a shot. And I don't think he has to tell himself any lies to pump himself up. Whereas Hulk Hogan is pumped up to about 12 feet five off of his lives. So Andre comes out and there's like this uh, balloon version of Hulk Hogan. And then he's like, Oh my God, I just came in here with my mere seven feet five, but that's not going to be enough for whatever this man is on. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's, um, that's a lot of great points right there. And I think you're definitely right. that in a different time and place, Andre would have won the title in February and would have been talking about Hogan's dead parents or something. And, you know, mm -hmm. all this other stuff, which might get tacked on. It's very, simple and it's very excellent for its simplicity and it's something that isn't 
executed enough, I think, in this day and age. Uh, because, man, if you sit down and look at it, like, it shouldn't be any difference. Like, if, the, if, if Hogan is champion and he's defending it, there's no reason they can't be just as big or bigger than, um, you know, trying to recapture the title. But wrestling kind of falls into that pattern because, I don't know, maybe there's an aspect of um, laziness or comfort there, and you can sort of just, like, build the story more easily, I suppose. But, man, you look at this, and it's a template for what you can do with something very simple, very effective, effective to the tune of all these tens of thousands of fans and everybody ordering this on pay-per-view and just making this a tremendous success. Yes, yes. There's something perverse and hollow and ugly about some of the measures that they will go to in the last 10 years to still not really reach anything higher than what they already have. And the thing about this era, whether you like it or not, it's just like pick one story and just stay on it. Stay on the narrative, like emphasize, 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 build, build, build. Like, you know, a couple of months ago, I was thinking, oh, Andre the Giant is not Hulk Hogan's a mentor. He did not watch him with children. Like, you shoehorn that in in order to have a storyline. Two months later, I'm like, my God, that was his mentor. That was his mentor. <laughs> it's it's fun because you want to believe it. It's more fun if yeah. you believe it. You know, you don't have to go around and say, well, Hulk Hogan fought Andre in 1982. Or, you know, whatever. Like, okay, sure, that's true. And it is, trust me, I know that it's annoying when the WWF ignores their own history. But, man, yeah. sometimes the story has got to come first. So I will give them a pass on something like that. <laughs> it is. Like, you know, sometimes it's good. Like, we, 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 are, we are able to say, here is truth that has been denied, and we are the ones bringing it to uh, the forefront. And then, on the other hand, sometimes, you know what? You were the generation that proved that there weren't 93,000 people. And that, that being big and something small is also your reward. While, while the people who were lying about 93,000 still got to have the emotional benefit of feeling like they were in front of 93,000. So I don't know who really wins. So you pick your fights well. You know, be more than one thing because I would not want to be back in a world where this stuff just happens and there's nothing else. But we we could we could do to mix a little bit of this with a little bit of that, I think, and everybody be a little bit better for it. I think so. I mean, I value people who seek truth, who talk about, well, this actually happened, and, you know, this was actually yeah. not true. I think that's valuable, but also don't get so caught up in that that you can't enjoy something that is fun. So, yeah, yeah there's there's a balance. Okay, so next up, we are still at WrestleMania three. And it is, uh, okay, so we got uh, the Rougeos, and we got, I think, Beefcake and Valentine coming up. We do. We do. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm always happy to see Greg Valentine, less so his partner. Um, it seems like everyone uh, on that side is a little less excited about Brutus Beefcake, because before the match with Gene Arkelin asking their manager, Johnny V, why, why do you need Dino Bravo in your corner, and uh, I honestly have no idea what the answer was, because Johnny V is kind of weird, um, and he just sort of rambled on, but uh, but they have Dino Bravo backing him up on that side. I did like it. He said, let me tell you something, Mr. Curiosity. <laughs> <laughs> Johnny V's not bad. He's just uh, weird. He's an interesting, yeah. uh, strange little guy who's been forgotten by history. And we 
And we are, you know, folks, equal opportunity, uh, truth tellers to the best of our ability. So WCW is definitely not off limits. And so the sadness of WCW, I thought we had Hulk Hogan uh, in a promo, and now we got this matchup. So in back-to-back segments um, at WrestleMania three, we now had what would be the main event of Starcade 1994, seven years later, with Hulk Hogan and Brutus Beefcake. For shame. For shame. shame. (laughs) Uh, What is not a shame, we also have Gorilla Monsoon in the booth reminding Jesse Ventura uh, of when he was in the East-West Connection, which, if you don't know, was a tag team of Jesse Ventura and Adrian Adonis. So that is a great (sighs) shout-out for me. That's so good, man. I... I have hyped Adrian Adonis as much, if not more, than anybody that we've talked about in the entirety of WWF The Legacy Series. And when I watched the promo and the match, I felt like I have not done him justice. We're getting to that in a minute. Uh, We do have this tag team match. I don't really have a lot of notes about the match. Uh, It's fine. It's not bad. Um, But this is the match where Heenan bursts into the commentary booth and talks about how uh, he says he's two for two. Tonight, because Billy Jack didn't win, and they beat JYD, and Monsoon says, well, you didn't beat Billy Jack, plus King Kong Bundy lost, and he then denies all responsibility for King Kong Bundy. He denies him three times, uh, like he was Peter, so. (laughs) (laughs) It's so good. And maybe that's the slight differences that, you know, at least make it, even if everything were scripted, which at this time um, it wasn't, but at least making it feel like things are frantic once in a while. Like Bobby Heenan's just bursting out of breath into the, you know. So this has everything that w- – God, it blows my mind because there's nothing I dislike more than WWE. Like, I'm not even against it personally. Like, I just can't watch it because it bores me to death. And yet it's not that different than what we're watching right now. Like, they're not complete worlds apart. But the ways that they are apart, I think, make all the difference. Like, I like that. Did you watch the bone, the boneyard, uh, match or whatever? It was all right. Okay. It was all right. But, you know, like, I can still see, like, all of this is WWE and it's Miss McMahon. Like, it's all him. But man, why does some of it feel like it's alive and some of it feels like it's been dead for over a decade? I don't know the answer to that one. I don't know. It, it definitely feels in this era like there's more weight to the things that are happening. Like yeah. Undertaker versus AJ. I don't know if it's the era or just we're more cynical as fans, but you know, like he buries AJ Styles and it it doesn't matter. You know, like AJ Styles will be yeah. back and it really it will have no impact on him. It doesn't really have any impact on the Undertaker. Like it's just it's a thing that happened and maybe it can entertain you, but it doesn't feel necessarily like it has any weight to it and you know not necessarily this tag match but some of these matches definitely feel like they have weight to it like something will be different yeah. tomorrow because of what happened today so i don't know if that's it i don't know if there's probably some nostalgia element i don't know but it, there is a different feeling to it i agree yeah i'm gonna try to figure out from at least for me so what some of that is i don't know how much of it is overly scripting versus not how much of it is having characters in it how much what you just said is the consequence like there are severe consequences to Hogan and Andre for the rest of their careers. Sure. You know, so uh, Beefcake, uh, th- this again, the baby faces in this era because Beefcake is a heel and his team wins and he doesn't leave with them and he's upset. <laughs> I kept, because I remembered 
they broke up here, and I kept waiting for something to happen to, like, break them up. But basically, yeah, uh, Beefcake just acts offended after they win, uh, and they cheated, so I guess, I don't know, like, he was offended by that for some reason. Um, Ventura is even like, what's the matter with that idiot Beefcake? (laughs) I'm like, go call Jesse, as always. Uh, All uh, Beefcake's friends just ditch him, they leave, and I I don't blame them. He was acting so weird and kind of like a dick, so there you go. Yeah. Sometimes it's your fault when people leave. And if you just want a match at WrestleMania 3 and everyone on your team is celebrating and you separate yourself, chances are you are the problem. But it's a nice little tie-in because we're going to see Beefcake in the next matchup, so they do something with it. Uh, this is the end of um, hour one, the beginning of hour two, and it's, uh, the first of these three matches that I said are not but an hour apart. My God, Roddy Piper and Adrian Adonis. Yeah, uh, this is the first, definitely, of the uh, triple main event, and it, it is the forgotten main event of WrestleMania three, and that's very unfortunate because it is so fired up. It is very exciting. I, I like this match a whole lot. As you said, Adrian Adonis, a massively underrated guy. There's some real, real excitement here. The fact that Piper and Adrian Adonis are so close and care so much about each other, but you would never know it watching this. Like, there's just so, there's so many layers to this thing. They're the same personality in, in that they can elicit anything that they want. Though Piper is playing the fiery baby face and Adrian Adonis is the soft heel, they could easily turn it around if they wanted. They could flip the roles and be just as good. And there's, it's a pivotal thing. It's another stupid WCW thing to me and that I noted that Roddy Piper was born to be the special attraction, not the challenger for the world title. That's a good point. I mean, um, yeah, some good challenges against Hogan. You know, there's some exciting times in there. But, yeah, Piper um, definitely explodes off the screen as a special challenger. And he's another one also. I talked about this a little bit with Jake Roberts where, um, you know, he's turned face now. And pretty much always when he comes back, he'll come back quite a bit. Always the face, you know, just uh, because people like him so much, because it works better with how fired up he is. But it's funny because people always remember Roddy Piper, you know, as the bad guy. So it's just one of those uh, strange little pieces of history where he made such a mark in his initial run that people will always just remember him that way. Yeah. He's so irritable, is Roddy Piper. And he was born to feud. And it doesn't matter if he's a heel or a babyface. He was born to feud, and it can be over anything. That doesn't matter. He'll make it work. And that's what this is. This is a grudge feud match where they're both so pompous in the, in what they are, and somebody's getting their head shaved. Like somebody's getting embarrassed about two men who will do anything kind of to save face and to save that character. And you pit them against each other. It's larger than life. It's colorful. It's people plugged into roles that fit who they actually are and what they actually convey. And it works and it works and it works. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, part of the narrative on Piper is like maybe he wasn't the best in the ring, 
and that's you know there's truth to that I think but man yeah. like when a match is as exciting as this one is I don't care. I'm not looking for, like, his technical holds or anything. He starts this match by taking his belt off and whipping Adrian Adonis yeah. in the face. Yeah. And, oh, he just goes buck wild. He's, like, showing Jimmy Hart. He's using Jimmy Hart as a bludgeon uh, to beat Adrian Adonis with. And um, it's uh, the crowd is so hot for it. I'm so excited about it. Like, it's great. I love it. Yeah, I thought about WrestleMania 12 where he's going to wrestle Goldust and they're going to be in a parking lot, kind of like the Boneyard um, in a way. But again, you put Pi- give Roddy Piper half a reason to fight somebody. And that's all the booking that Roddy, but I don't book him beyond that and then that, let him do the rest. And so you said that Adrian Adonis started the match by whipping. Surely you said that Adrian Adonis started the match by whipping Piper in the face, right? With the belt. No, I did not, sir. <laughs> Okay, so I am confused because uh, oh wait wait never mind. Gorilla Monsoon clarifies because at a point later in the match, Adrian Adonis will use the belt and Gorilla Monsoon will get offended and Jesse Ventura will bring up what you said and Gorilla Monsoon will say he didn't use the belt that long, Jess. <laughs> I tell you, it's a masterclass by Gorilla Monsoon on babyface privilege tonight. He has every mm-hmm. excuse in the book. He has the full deck of excuses that he can bring out for the baby faces. You get the difference. Like Vince McMahon is so like fiery. Like he fights Jesse the way Jesse, like they, they, they kind of just clash. <laughs> Whereas real Monsoon has a subtle, like fun with it. Like he knows he's full of shit, <laughs> but, but he, but his rhetoric is so different than Vince McMahon's, but the same conversations are happening. Uh, absolutely. And it goes to, uh, an underrated part of Gorilla Monsoon's whole gimmick and character is that, like, he's always the smarter guy in the room. Like, he always actually has, like, a logical reason or logical in his mind that, oh, this is the reason that I'm actually right. And uh, he can always come up with something, always, always. And um, I don't know if I respect him for that or what, but uh, it does make it fun. Yeah, he has, a, he has a humor about it. Even if he's being serious, it comes off a certain yeah, type of way. yeah. But also what he will do that I haven't heard McMahon do so far is like three or four times where Jess does make a point that is heel related that he doesn't have a rebuttal. He'll say, I have seen that. And he'll disagree with yep, it. Yep. Yep. And that gives so much credence to even his bullshit arguments that he's going to use later because he's like, ah, oh, he, well, he conceded something. Yeah, that's true. You know, he won't. um it's an era that it's great because they're really just calling what they're seeing. Um, and it is a lot yes. less controlled, a lot less micromanaged. I feel very bad for any commentator in WWE uh, today. I don't think you can judge any of their performances um, with maybe a couple of possible exceptions because by all accounts, it is so controlled. It is so like um, corporate speak. Don't say these words. Don't voice these like thoughts uh, or ideas here. It's just like, everything's wild off the rails anyway. So you just have to say what you see and make it work. And these guys know where it needs to end up. They know what the goal is and they're always going to push it in that direction. So it's, it's a very good time for commentary. Uh, I love Monsoon and Ventura together. That's a great point. I've heard Jim Ross say several times that he would rather know less than more because he is capable of looking inside his monitor and seeing what you see and calling it in a genuine way. So like I can do that. So I don't need to be led along because the moment you're led along 
you're no longer in the moment, you know. You're now just like reacting to points and scripts that are not actually what's going on, but they're already veiled by your response to it, and I think it makes a big difference. So, good, good stuff. This is such a good one. Adrian Adonis falls to the same trick that Lex Luger will fall to in the second Nitro, where you put on your finisher as a submission, and for whatever reason, and it always hits me in my fandom because that's my existence on this earth, these are the people that don't know that two, the hand dropping twice is not the hand dropping three times, and they let the hold off before they win the match. Ah, what do you do? You just gotta let like. That's why. Well, he has Adrian has a manager, but you need a manager to tell you. You know, if you're gonna drop it two instead of three, like put it in your head that the referee has to let the arm drop four times. And that way you'll you'll break it three. Sure. And who is in Adrian's corner in this one? I just realized this. In the moment. moment. Who is his manager? And Lex Luger's manager in that era (laughs) is Do your damn job, Jimmy Hart. (laughs) Uh, Jimmy Hart, thank you too much about um, his outfits and his other clients, I suppose. Um, Yeah. Babyface Hogan will never let that happen, even though he's managed by Jimmy Hart. <laughs> what an unjust world. Yeah, it really is. It is. Um, uh, he almost had him here. He really almost had him. That's, you gotta, yes. you gotta give some credit to that. Probably got blinded by the uh, little perfume sprayer that they use that they would later repurpose for the model. And um, yeah, you've got uh, Adonis with the sleeper. I'd love this too because Piper rolls out of the sleeper and Adonis like freaking holds onto it and takes him down to the mat. Uh, and it's so rough and it's so gritty and it's so wild. And, uh, you know, a big, big gay gimmick aside, you know, for Adrian Adonis. That's what they were doing at the time. Put that aside and man, you could put this on a Starcade on any NWA show and man, just like the grittiness of it really stands out to me. As close as Adrian Adonis came to winning this match with the sleeper, he came that close to being one of the greatest of all time. And it's the same exact thing. Like the industry just one arm drop before what was necessary, before letting him take off, before letting him, I think, carve something that would have been 10, 15 years and would have just been something that you, well, you can't talk about fill in the blank without talking about Adrian Adonis. And it just came an inch short. And now we can talk about all the fill in the blanks without Adrian Adonis because history is not always what it should be. Adrian Adonis had as much potential, as much talent as anyone that you can watch. And he was one arm drop away from carving a path where everyone would have talked about him. But because that's not the case, we do our job. We unearth. And this is the last. This is the last of someone. And what do you say? If who's your favorite wrestlers, folks, if Ric Flair never became Ric Flair, if Bret Hart never became Bret Hart, if Roddy Piper never became Roddy Piper. Like you don't even know how to go back and, and unknow them. If Bret Hart was a tag wrestler with Jimmy Hart or Jim Neidhart, and that was it. And that's your Bret Hart experience. 
if Ric Flair was rambling Ricky Rhodes, uh, the cousin of Dusty Rhodes, and then you know never got over. Adrian Adonis could have been one of the folks that we talked about on any list, and he deserved to be. He's as good as Roddy Piper. I'm going to say that. He's as good as Roddy Piper, and you can take that however you want to take it. I mean, you just have to look at this match, and this is even like um, he's much bigger, much heavier than he was for most of his career. But you wouldn't know it because he bumps around the match like a beautiful balloon or something. I don't know how to put it. Yeah. But just the way he moves is incredible. The fire that he puts into this match is incredible. Uh, the way the crowd reacts to everything is incredible. Like, you, you can't overstress, I think, how great a job Adrian Adonis does, especially compared to the fact that, yeah, he really gets no credit for it. It's it's. What you said about, yeah, great wrestlers who maybe they never could have been, that really strikes home here, I think, because uh, we're seeing Adrian Adonis on the cusp, potentially, of greatness. Um, yeah. And it will just come to nothing, and it's it's very sad. I hadn't even thought of this, but he was born for the pomp and circumstance of WrestleMania four in that one-night tournament. Like he would have been amazing on that. And then if you keep building him as a challenger to Randy Savage for the world title, come on. This man, this man had it. And this will be a declaration that if we continue on and we make it and we're all the way at the third rock versus Austin, there will be a show where part of the job of that show three or four years later, probably in our lives and decades later, like what? Uh, 15 years later, whatever, where we'll have to say, okay, now we need to talk about Adrian Adonis because <laughs> so it's, it sucks because this is one, this is one of the great injustices. I don't remember if I never knew why this never came to be, but it's not right. It's not right. No. And he's going to get his head shaved like a champ. <laughs> Yeah, uh, we'd love to just talk about Piper and Adonis. Um, unfortunately, there's a moment in this match where it's sort of, it, for me, it takes a downturn, and I, I wish it had happened a different way. But um, Piper is out. He's been choked out with the sleeper. He's lying on the mat. Adonis is parading around because he, he was too cocky or something. He let go too early. Brutus Beefcake comes down. And uh, there was a moment in the build of this where, like, the Dream Team was trying to help Adonis, and Adonis accidentally cut a piece of Beefcake's hair off. So I guess that's the whole impetus for everything oh. he ever did in his career, that moment, apparently. Uh, he comes out, and he revives Roddy Piper with voodoo, says Monsoon, uh, which is just so unnecessary. You could have easily had Piper just recover on his own. But whatever, he does get up, he puts Adonis in the sleeper, and yeah, Adonis deserved better than to be defeated by the voodoo of, Bru of Brutus Beefcake. Yeah. Again, I'm trying not to get hot here, but now it comes to my mind, Roddy Piper, and yeah, fair enough, is going to main event Starcade with Hulk Hogan. Brutus Beefcake is going to main event Starcade with Hulk Hogan. Two out of three of the people in that ring at the end are going to main event Starcade with Hulk Hogan. And imagine if I tell you, if I asked you to pick those two out of three without you knowing. Like it would be, it would be ten out of ten. Everyone would guess the same thing. Uh, the one thing I noticed 
which is just a great abomination. It's how poorly the hair gets cut and how long it takes. That Bruce Beefcake can't even cut the hair well. That's the one thing I would have said. Well, but by God, he's the barber. By God, he can do that. He can have his own show. But it takes him a long time to get a little bit of hair. He just doesn't do a good job of it. I think they're rushing him along at one point because it's like, you know, you're Bruce Beefcake. You don't get this much camera time. Get the job done and get out get off the camera. Right. We got more. We got big things to do. Um, <laughs> yeah. So. So, yeah. Brutus Beefcake uh, becomes the barber. And uh, we'll leave it up to you how good a job he did of it. Um, didn't do a good job, in our opinion. But, uh, yeah. And it's even after all this. Adonis, he's done in the WWF. I don't even know if he knows it or not, but he's he's essentially done. Even after the match, he's like selling this so big. Fiber like shows him a mirror, and Adonis like punches the mirror and crashes That's around the ring point. in just fury and embarrassment, and the crowd is loving it. <sighs> and that's uh, that's the last we see of Adrian Adonis. So that's um, he went out as strongly as he could, I guess. He went out well. I think Benjamin Button may have said, maybe, that there are some promos with him with his haircut. So maybe they did a couple of promos. I don't know. I mean, I, that is true. I think I said that last week uh, also. Oh, you yeah. said that. Okay. So those promos exist, but they will never connect to anything that we will cover on here. They'll never connect to anything. I don't even know if he had any other matches. So uh, those promos exist, um, but uh, they may as well not. I think the greatness of Adrian Adonis is that how flamboyant he is in his character, and he's also the guy that punches the mirror. <laughs> yeah, for sure. That, like, we talked about that a lot. Like they went to great lengths to make him like an evil gay character, which is kind of uh, it's cringeworthy uh, to look back on it now. But also, he's not like this effeminate net. Like he was a badass in this gimmick, yeah. and. I don't know. Like, I won't think I'll give them credit for anything intentional in that department, but it's uh, it's nice to see a guy um, in this gimmick who is also still very much like a badass. Yeah, he is right. Right, they are they are the same in a lot of ways. Like, you can put whatever gimmicks you want on them, but there's a fighting spirit, and they're gonna make the most of it. And you would think that would be honored. I just don't. I don't know what happened, but man, God bless. Adrian Adonis, one of the greatest legacies that never came close to being what it could have been, but still in what it was, was amazing to watch. Oh, man. And then we transitioned, though, to what I think some people have said is the greatest six-man um, team of all time in the Hart Foundation and uh, Danny Davis. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. Yeah. Um I, maybe someone has said that. I won't. Uh, I won't discount it. You never know what people will say when the hearts are involved. Bret Hart spends a lot of time in history with his friends and family. So here he takes on the Bulldogs and Tito. So again, history in a little while we will get Bulldog and Bret at SummerSlam in '92. Uh, you got Nightheart and Bulldog who are going to take separate sides in '94 in the Owen oh, Bret feud. So a lot of history. Uh, within this match that will uh, come together in the coming years. Right now it is a six-man tag match and a grudge match. Yeah, the, the Hart family, um, the Stampede Wrestling connections definitely run yes. deep here. But I got to I gotta put a little spotlight on something that happened before the match first. And that's, uh, I honestly don't even remember why, but Jesse Ventura comes down to ringside, uh, or to actual to the ring before the match, 
and you have Howard Finkel, who's like throwing some shade at him. He's I don't remember what he said exactly, but he's like, oh, this is Jesse Ventura, allegedly, you know, this and that. And Ventura, yes. like, is so offended. So a, a fun little character yeah. moment yes. that we were talking about. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you. I saw Gene introduce J-E-N-E, and I was like, what is that? But that was Jesse introduced, so I'm definitely glad you brought that up. That was a big moment. I don't know if that was Jesse's ego and he had to be introduced or if that was a WWF thing, but he's getting ready for his movie. And Gorilla Monsoon will mention the movie while he's in the ring, and then he'll bring it up later, and um, Gorilla will be like, I already plugged that, Jess. I enjoy the war between Ventura plugging his own stuff and WWF, not knowing if they want to, like, also be proud of it or also be, like, jealous of him, so... (laughs) But that's the edge that you need. Yeah. You, know, you need the company to have power, and you need the performers to have power. And that's what happens when the brand is not the full on main event. There is that give and take. And it's going to be ugly sometimes, but better it be ugly all the time in a small rust, like tug of war than it just be really ugly when it reveals itself once in a while. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I would much rather see something like this. Um uh, also in this match, I got to shout out Jimmy Hart for like the, uh, an incredible costume change because he just left being yeah. like uh, ripped to pieces, like his outfit, and he was roughed up, and he looked terrible. And he's out here like a minute later, and he's he's looking great again. So um, he got a new outfit, and uh, he looks all put together again. So I guess uh, credit to him for that uh, quick turnaround. <laughs> Yeah, WWF is a visual sport, and the, the changing of the attire is one more evidence of that because everything matters visually in the WWF. And again, yeah, just just in war, but it's another match, it's another uh, client, it's another angle. So we come out fresh again and we start over. <laughs> and that visual element has uh, good aspects and bad aspects. Uh, on the other side, we have Danny Davis. I never quite understood why his ring attire had to be, like, this weird <laughs> referee bodysuit, like, just in case you forgot that he was a referee yeah. before. Uh, it's very strange. Yeah. but uh, That's what the – for better and worse, again, though, all the WWF is is, like, one narrative for each person and just drill it home, drill it home, drill it home, drill it home. And when it works, it works. And when it's weird – it's probably going to stay weird. Like, they're probably going to double down on it. Um, well, it looks like pajama pants and a pajama it shirt. It very and, much you know. does. It's not the best look. Um, but maybe he got heat, though. He's got real heat. Oh, sure. I think uh, he, he screwed all three of these uh, baby yeah. faces out of their titles. He, he cheated to, to make the British Bulldogs lose the tag titles, and he cheated to make Tito Santana lose the Intercontinental title to Randy Savage. So that goes back to, like, 19... 19- 86, uh, at least. I was about to say, I think a little over a year ago yeah, that happened. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, there, there's a lot. And, yeah, Danny Davis was very much hated. And uh, Monsoon tells us that Danny Davis was banned for being a referee for life plus 10 years, yeah. um, which uh, so, they will not live up to because he will eventually go back to being a, a normal referee uh, down the line. But for now, for this for this part of his life, he's banned for life plus 10 years. <laughs> God, it's a WWF in all its ways. <laughs> they, I bet they love calling him, though, because that probably is just so much more fodder for their commentary when they have an actual crooked referee to, to talk about. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, it was a great angle. You know, once he started wrestling, 
I think uh, it kind of fell away quickly. But when he was an evil referee, he was the most hated man in all of the company. And think of that, who that entails. So This is a gutsy one, too, for me. Because like we said, stuff's been going on for over a year. He's got legitimate heat. And when this match is over, it's going to end with Danny Davis getting the pin. Yeah, yeah. So this is, again, this is not... Uh, uh, a resolution. Um, there, there are some big payoffs in the show, but a lot of stuff does not go to the final payoff, and you really got to buy that ticket to see Danny Davis uh, finally get his comeuppance. Yeah. So, uh, this just builds upon build upon build now. Um, Danny Davis got beat up a little bit, yes, and they could have put him away at one point. They didn't. And you're going to let that megaphone get in there, and he's going to get the victory. The Hearts, God, God, God love them, the greatest tag team of all time, get a victory here. And we're going to move on to Bobby Heenan and Andre the Giant. And Bobby Heenan says, you know what? Three years was a good run, but Hulkamania is dead. 1987. Yep. <laughs> I love Bobby Heenan, this is not the first time that he will do this. And he always is like, well, he had a good run, but now it's over now. Like, he's constantly, even in – being Hulk Hogan's greatest opponent, he's constantly like sneaking in references to, well, you actually were, you know, a very successful champion and like all this recognition for the things yeah. he's done. But he's only saying that so it's even more impressive when uh, his man gets the victory. Yeah, he says time is ticking in our direction, not yours. And I don't understand because this was a really long show and it took me a few days to get through it. But at the same time, when I was watching it, like, and it's rare that I have such a combination of there are a lot of really big things happening and they're not really referencing Hogan and Andre, but you do feel a clock ticking and a pull in the direction that sitting at the end of this night is really what looks like the most legitimate challenge to Hulk Hogan and Bobby Heenan's opportunity to maybe to end Hulkamania or to, to change at least the trajectory of the company. So there is a movement towards that match, even when it's not being recognized and Bobby Heenan, does a good good job of pushing that along. Absolutely, yeah. It feels like everything is building up to this one uh, climactic moment, and that is very much a credit to the show. We've talked a lot about how it's nice to have uh, a through line in the show, kind of a golden thread yes. that runs from one end to the other, and definitely you've got Heenan and Andre um, at the end of that thread here. Like It's always kind of in the back of your mind. You know it's coming. You know it's going to be such a big deal. Uh, and they do a really good job of putting it all together. Bobby Heenan, too, is so good at knowing he's a heel, getting heel heat, but treating his narrative. Like, he acts about his narrative like Hogan acts about his. You know, like, like we're all here just to watch, like, like the great moment where Bobby Heenan became the manager of the world champion. Like, that's what the whole night is about, the 93,000 fans. It's all so that we can see the culmination of Bobby Heenan as the manager of a world champion. You know, I like that versus, I guess, I don't know what the other is like. I am really bad, and um, I don't even like myself, but I'm going to do bad things tonight. You know, like, I don't know how many people. Everyone thinks that they're the star of the story, and I like that from Heenan. And Andre, who who's, if, he's, he seems to be beaming. We'll hear from him later in the night, so we'll get to that then. Yeah, Andre didn't talk a lot uh, in this era. Um I don't know what the decision exactly was with that, but uh, when he does talk, it, me it means something. You know, you notice for sure. Yeah. So we're going to go back to the ring. We got Butch Reed uh, with Slick going against Coco Beware. Yeah, two uh, 
Two guys I like a lot, a couple of underrated guys, in my opinion. You also got Slick, the doctor of um, style out there with Butch Reed. Uh, they don't get a lot of time, but I think they do okay with what they got. You know, Coco doing, like, really good drop kicks and uh, just looking good in general. But uh, it is Butch Reed who gets the pretty quick win with a handful of tights. After the match, uh, again, babyfaces can't let it go, so Coco yeah. attacks Butch Reed. Slick comes in to defend him, but Tito Santana appears for some reason. Uh, he's got Ricky Steamboat syndrome where he can't uh, just let yeah. anything go, I guess. He beats up Slick, and uh, I don't really know why this happened, but I know that a Tito Santana Coco Beware tag team would not be uh, amiss with me. I don't, yeah. I don't think that happens, but it feels like it could have in this moment. I believe this, too, is the year that Butch Reed was set to become the IC champion later in the year. We'll get to that later in the Legacy Series. But, yeah, this is also the match where Jesse Ventura says, why can't they accept defeat? <laughs> like, you know, it's just, every match has got to be like this. But, anyway, the winners are still the winners, and the poor behavior will be called for what it is uh, in this series. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. The Lord and Master of the Ring, Randy Savage, with another promo. Um, so we are moving towards uh, the end of hour two, the beginning of hour three, and the second of these main event matches. This one here going to change the landscape of WWF in a way that um, is not for a while going to be the prominent uh, way it is seen. Um, it's something that I want to explore over the next few years. I don't know how tall Randy Savage is, but it's interesting to me that Bret Hart will kind of be this groundbreaker and then uh, Michaels. But you've got guys like Randy Savage, Ric Flair, that are not Hulk Hogan, you know. And Randy Savage already in 1987 is doing what some will claim, you know, won't be done until the 90s with Ricky Steamboat in this matchup. So we got a groundbreaking matchup to get into. It's the IC title match. Randy Savage and Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Absolutely. There have been... There have been really good matches at WrestleMania. You have British Bulldogs versus the Dream Team at WrestleMania 2. You have uh, this and that here and there. But, yeah, this definitely set a new standard for WrestleMania matches in terms of uh, this kind of quality. And we just had a big conversation about um, gauging quality of wrestling matches. But uh, you at least here have something which the majority of wrestling fans can all agree, hey, this was like a very exciting, a very compelling match. It was good in a way that was not just like the excitement of seeing two big stars fight each other. It was exciting in terms of the action they did. It was really grabbing us and it was very um, energetic and fast-paced. And uh, it's a yeah. match that really meant something to people, both in its physicality as well as in its story. Yeah, they, they definitely brought a different style. The back and forth, the burst of energy, the nonstop, uh, the close calls. Like you see a lot of markers of things to come uh, within uh, this matchup. And again, one thing I will say, though, is part of this is, like, again, the fire-based element of these two. That's what they are. And you're going to see a lot of people take up the style. But what you've got is two people, like whether it's Steamboat's Chops or Savage's, uh, double axe handles like they, they wrestle in spurts and so neither man changed their style even though their styles were similar they both kind of just accelerated their styles and just let them like 
collide into each other. Yeah, I mean, uh, you said it best, and I, I didn't even know what you were going to say before we came on, but I have in my notes that uh, there's something that is pure fire between these two. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and you're right, it's two, uh, two wrestlers of the fire element, as we talk about uh, the different elements of wrestling colliding here. And you can feel every ounce of that heat. It just, uh, it's, it's something very special about this match. I underlined a bunch of words coming out of this fire element issue. Like half ring. They break the ring into half. So half ring, short elbow, snap arm drag, snap back into the ring, short knee, quick pin. Everything is just like a burst, 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 short burst, short burst, short burst. Uh, fire goes out, short burst, short burst, fire goes out, short burst. And it's just over and over and over and over and and it builds 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 it settles and it builds and it builds and it builds and you really are watching two different things. Number one, what everybody will tell you about, which is a different style, a different kind of match that just elevates and changes the game, particularly in WWF. But it really is also part of that element because this this is what happens, even with a Stone Cold Steve Austin who is not wrestling at his top style at Stone Cold because he's beat up and hurt, what will it be? Brawling, burst, stomping a mud hole, kick, punch, kick, punch, uh, Thez Prez. It's these short little bursts. That is the fire element, and we never totally talk about the element, much less two people together and their wrestling styles, but that really is something that I came into the match not really thinking about, but it just it just made itself known. And that's why I think in one way it is one of the strangest matches because it, it sets so many precedents, but the style and pace is not like anything really before or after it, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure you can find some matches uh, that, that have some element of this, but uh, it was a very particular time and place, a very particular chemistry between these two guys. Um, and they have a wealth of matches uh, outside of WrestleMania uh, that, were, uh, that can be found um, here and there, but uh, in front of this crowd with all the build coming into it, the great stuff with the, the, the crushed larynx and Steamboat coming back and then being so deep in each other's business and then both being just energy barely contained, particularly Randy Savage, who's just constantly almost bursting out of his skin yeah, yeah. in this era. That's why he can't wear the long tights and the shirt because <laughs> he needs the energy to be coming off of his skin or he's going to explode. Uh, it's just, it's, uh, everything falls into place pretty much perfectly here. Yeah, that's, that's, that's good analysis, sir. Rumor has it he started in, like, long pants and a shirt, and we just never saw it because halfway down the ramp he burst out of it. <laughs> Burned right off, I can believe that. Yeah. It, and, okay, so this is also the thing, because it's the wrestling that we've talked about. It's that firebrand. It's also that these are larger-than-life characters in great storylines. So you got... This is like what two year almost thing with uh George Steele on the outside, you got Liz on the outside, you got Steamboat becoming, you got Savage frantic. So there's so much. This whole match almost encapsulates the whole WrestleMania three that one big thing is happening and then also like a hundred small big things are happening. Like it's just a culmination of so much. And man, it's good to see uh Savage I realized too, I think there's going to be a couple of WrestleManias that might not be that consequential, but you're going to see the firebrand element in the career and trajectory that the majority of his WrestleMania appearances are going to be life or death, B 
bigger than anything, like having what is maybe the greatest match of WWF at this time and losing the IC title. Where will he be in a year? He'll be winning the title. Where will he be in a year? He'll be losing the title to his best friend. Where will he be, I think, in two years? He'll be losing his career. Where will he be in a couple of years? He'll be reinstated and wrestling this dramatic match with Ric Flair, who is creating this whole thing with Liz. So it's never going to calm down with Randy Savage. There are certain wrestlers, and just uh, wherever they go, great stories follow them, and uh, they just seem to draw those stories to them. Uh, Jake Roberts is another one who's going to have a lot of great stories as he goes along, but Randy Savage is a great call, especially at WrestleMania. Uh, there's always going to be so much going on with Randy Savage at WrestleMania. Uh, you, you can't discount the value of that. Yeah. Yeah. This though this is this is Ricky Steamboat's night. Ricky Steamboat becomes the Intercontinental Champion. And my question for you is if Ricky Steamboat stays in WWF, do you think he continues to evolve or do you think he kind of flatlines somewhere and they kind of move away from him? I think I mean in terms of quality, you just have to look because right to ninety four, this is a guy who's having great matches, compelling matches, uh yeah. stories that are engaging. Um I think he would have had a great like, Ricky Steamboat, I don't think he was ever going to be world champion uh, in this time and place. Uh, in NWA, he was. I'm, gra- I'm glad he got that opportunity. I don't think it ever would have happened in the WWF. But you could have such a great run here because so many guys were great in this area without being in the main event. I think you get something just below the tier of Randy Savage. You get something like Bret Hart, you know, pre-world champion, um, where this is just a guy who can go out and just have great matches, have great stories with everybody. You're, if you have a baby face who can get fired up this much, he's always going to have something to do. You know, he's always going to have somebody who offends him, and that's always going to escalate to them doing some big wrong to him. I think uh, it's unfortunate that we don't get more of Ricky Steamboat in the WWF in this era, but it's a trade-off because we do get some great stuff from him in other places that in some ways is even better. So I don't know. Um, But I definitely think he would have still had a lot of success because you just have to look at this match and know how popular this guy is. Yeah, I do wonder. Everybody who's anybody will put Bret Hart over in that IC grind with Mr. Perfect British Bulldog Roddy Piper. Steamboat Steamboat may have been in that uh, family. You could have wrestled all those same people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And would have had bangers with all of them. My God. Yeah, that, all of that could have been game-changing, but also I, I don't want to leave behind the fact that I don't know. There have been very few more non-direct legacies than what Ricky Steamboat did in the early 90s for the te- like Brian Pillman, Shane Douglas, uh, Steve Austin, um, uh, Regal. Oh, yeah. Like he did so much for that talent. Like he was, he fathered a whole generation of amazing talent that came out of uh, that era working with him. Maybe would have done the same in WWF, but the one thing that we can say is. This is a guy who, who stuck by his principles, you know, and, you know, for whatever he lost, he, he gained uh, just as much in the path that he took. And I, that's a compliment to Ricky Steamboat. Absolutely. You couldn't you couldn't keep Ricky Steamboat down. There's no point in his career right up to the point that, you know, he was injured and he had to stop where he was not succeeding uh, tremendously wherever he was. Actually, there's one point. And it's when he's the dragon and WWF hires him but wants nothing to do with him, which is still just one of the stupidest things 
that you could ever lay your hands on in wrestling. Um, but apart from that, yeah, Ricky Steamboat, a huge success wherever he went, always doing great stuff. Absolutely. Uh, that is, folks, uh, the second main event on this impressive show. Then we're going to uh, Alice Cooper and Jake the Snake Roberts. He is getting ready for his matchup with the Honky Tonk Man. Uh, absolutely, and uh, Alice Cooper is going to receive a little abuse here uh, towards the end from the commentators, making fun. <laughs> like, they couldn't stop. They had to make fun of uh, his physique, and uh, he has small arms. And, and they're in total agreement about this, our venture and monsoon. So I guess uh, it shows you the worldview, the life values of the people in this time. Yeah, and Jesse mentions how ugly his face is. Like, you know, these are probably people with really, really, really large egos. So I wonder if they ever like played it back or had it re- like returned to them that this was a commentary while they were, you know. So you know, I, I do wonder. Wild, wild um, from what I've heard, Alice was actually a very nice person, so maybe he didn't mind. But yeah, like yeah. certainly some celebrity uh, could have had a big issue with the way they were uh, going after him here. So. And again, it's the good and bad, though, of, you know, people get to just, you know, <laughs> say what they're seeing. <laughs> yeah. And that's going to lead sometimes to some uncomfortable things. And then the, you also can have an era where nobody says anything out of pocket. And, you know, it's got its own, it's got its own ways. They could probably you know. rely on the fact that Vince McMahon would not object to their comments. Because we know yeah. Vince McMahon yeah. feels about big muscles. So, you know, nowadays, they, you know. It would just go to Twitter, and they're like, oh, my God, here's a shoot on Twitter. Did you see it? <laughs> Jessica Ventura insults the arms of Alice Cooper. They're having a Twitter beef. We live in a worse time in some ways. <laughs> Thank you. I was about to say, I was about to say it, tell a lie and say, you know, this is just different times. But, you know, thank you. This is so strange. The honky, I, ah. All right, Jake Roberts in the Honky Tonk, man. Let's go. Let's go. Um... So, yeah, Honky Tonk Man, uh, I've talked about before, is just a guy that I'm not necessarily that into. I get that he draws heat. People like to see him beat up. That's great. I think there's a lot of guys who do that better and bring other things to the table beyond that. Um, He does a little bit of funny selling. Like, he does a spot that uh, I know is a Harley Race spot where he kind of, like, teeter-totters in the ropes while he's getting uh, punched. Um, But, yeah, I don't know. Jake uh, is a guy I want to really examine a lot here because there's a lot of talk about Jake and the promos and the psychology and the character, which is all just, like, super great. But I want to challenge Jake a little bit because my feeling after watching a lot of Jake Roberts is he's got all this great stuff mentally, and then when it comes down to the physicality, he's a very unremarkable guy. He's, like, very awkward Uh, He's big, but, like, not in a way that feels big. Uh, He's definitely at his best when he has some kind of psychological game that he could play. And when it comes down to the actual physicality, I don't know if there's a lot there. So maybe maybe a bit of a weakness in Jake Roberts. Uh, This match is not bad. Uh, It's not really good either. It kind of is what it is. Um, You know, uh, Honky Tonk Man wins, which surprises even the commentators. Uh, and, of course, Jake uh, is a babyface who lost, so he gets mad and breaks the guitar on the ring post in a, a very murderous uh, attempted moment. And uh, and then they bully Jimmy Hart with the snake. So, so yeah, there you go. That's this match. God, God bless the Miz fan. <laughs> Let it go. 
ladies and gentlemen. I haven't had a thing sitting on my chest for two weeks now. It's it's been one sentence that I just wanted to say out loud, but I didn't feel like getting like emails and text messages and calls and whatever else is is out there. Uh, I find a lot of Jake Roberts matches to be boring. Yeah, yeah. And like like the Bundy match was not good. I didn't really like the Honky Tonk Man match. Like the last two that we did, and unremarkable is a pretty good word. And you know what? There's some interesting stuff like Jake Robertson, the Undertaker, and all that stuff is going to be so interesting later. And he's got some good psychology, but and I'm all right. So God, 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 God. Um, I'm really glad at the successes that he's had in life. Okay, like, I'm glad that he's doing well. That these things have nothing to do with each other. But like he comes out and shits on Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels. Does he? It's like, oh boy. no, he just came, yeah, he just came out like post his AEW appearances, saying that neither of them ever drew money, they had no business being champions, and all this. It's like, who the who the fuck are you? And like, he's not the father of psychology. Like anything that he does, Arn Anderson does twenty times better. Shh. Um, and oh, <laughs> uh, we were having technical difficulties. But anyway, Jake Roberts doesn't mean some good stuff, but like. I'm not seeing. There's a lot of hype on him right now in a lot of places, and a lot of people I respect. And don't tell me, show me. And right now, he's not showing me. I uh, I am a big fan of Jake Roberts. I think he's going to have some of the best stories that we talk about yeah. uh, in this yeah. thing. But he's not a sacred cow. We can't take some shots at him. And uh, yeah. if he's coming out, I mean, there are things that Jake Roberts does better, I think, than maybe some of the guys he's criticizing. But there's a lot of things that they do a lot better. Yeah. And uh, they are beloved, and they did main events, and uh, they were champions. And, eh, you know, like, maybe calm down, Jake Roberts. I don't know why people, yeah. I don't know why old wrestlers are so yeah. compelled to come out and be like, wrestlers younger than me are shit, you know? <laughs> like, it's a disease yeah. with these guys. Um, it shows a bad spirit, and yeah. I don't, like, to me, like, I, well, by all accounts, Jake Roberts is a very terrible person, um, and part of that is due to some terrible circumstances in his personal life. Yeah. Like, don't look up the childhood of Jake Roberts, uh, and part of that is due to yeah, all, like the substance abuse problems he had. But you know what? He's probably just not a very nice person, not a very good person by all accounts. So if he comes out and he says something uh, that's a little bit hateful or a little bit mean or a little bit um, stubborn. You know, uh, we won't be surprised because uh, Jake Roberts is who he is. Yeah, the whole world is pouring goodwill on you, and like your first real response after your big return was just to shit on a bunch of people. And like, it wouldn't ever made sense. But if we were living in like 1995 or six, maybe like, like what is the relevancy of even talking about that? And then number, yeah, then don't remind the fact us all that you were actually part of WWF during the run of Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels. So if you want to talk about that. Yeah, so I do think um, I don't defend these comments at all, but I will say, and this is the same thing that I feel about Hulk Hogan and a lot of other people. It must be weird. It must warp your perspective a little to be in this time to see this kind of just like unbelievable world topping popularity. We talked about before. Jake Roberts is a guy who got cheered over Hulk Hogan in a time where that was fucking impossible. So something's there. And for him to have experienced that high and then look around, I can understand why a guy would be like, well, your high is not as good as my high, but also, fuck you for that, because your high is not the most important thing that ever happened. So, there you go. Yeah. 
and also your high is um, part of the reason that you weren't a world champion. So, <laughs> you know, is like part of it is like the fan. You know, he tells a story that twice they put him with Hogan, and both times they chanted DDT, so they couldn't go with it. But then in the same promo or the same interview, he says, "Also, I had my problems, and you know, they couldn't like rely on me." Right. Yeah. So, you know. You gotta let it go. You gotta let it go. Uh, Jake Roberts, as, as everybody in the series, like we can be wrong, just like we said, just as much as anybody else. Like we said, we had this conversation earlier. It's all subjective, but the point of the Legacy series is to call it how we see it, to unearth what we see, and and we'll tell you at the end of the show. Don't let the legacy be dictated to you. But it has been sitting on my chest for two weeks. But I know how much like people I respect love Jake Roberts and. But like the last two matches have been boring, and I go in thinking, here comes the master of psychology, and I think I wouldn't even say it if he wasn't also out there saying it. Like he's using his goodwill to put other people down. So okay, we're gonna use the same lens with you that you're using with others, and you know, once you start like showing up and doing great things, you'll get that applause. But man, everything that Jake Roberts did was not master psychology. Uh, like Ms. Fan said, the actual action counts too, and just like. Some little slim, tall man like lurking around the ring is not just psychology. At some point, you got to start doing things, and sometimes they just don't do much. Um, it's definitely his weakest point. Um, there are a lot of great Jake Roberts promos. There are incredible Jake Roberts promos. There's a lot of great angles. Um, there are no great Jake Roberts matches that I have seen. Yeah. I've seen some good ones, some very heated ones. I've not seen a great one, and it's not like he didn't have the chance, you know? So we're going to have to examine that as we go on. Maybe we'll find one that we do think is great, but I don't know. I, I I don't think he ever got more than good in the ring, and even that was a bit of a stretch sometimes. You know, yeah. need a lot of bells and whistles to get there. So uh, I am a fan of Jake Roberts. I love what he does a lot. The matches themselves, it's a weak point, and I think we're going to have to keep examining that as we go forward. Yeah, one of the areas I'm most looking forward to is the whole early Undertaker, match made in heaven, match made in hell, ultimate warrior Randy Savage, Jake Roberts. So, If his matches were as good as the storylines he's involved in, he'd be the greatest of all time, you know, or he'd be up there anyway. Yeah. They're not, so we're going to have to talk about that as we go. Yeah, so great. Thank you for opening that door because, I was, again, I was thinking about it and I wasn't going to do it again. I was just going to try to move through the match, but... There, there it is, folks. You know, you know, you know where to, to reach Miss Fan. He's on Twitter. <laughs> I'm not uh, spectral, Jed. Tell me why I'm wrong. Um, tell me why I'm stupid. Go for it. God. Okay. So, is next up? Uh, well, we got the attendance, and you know, the attendance is going to be built at ninety-three thousand one hundred and seventy-three. Uh, I like that Gene is the one to deliver it, if it since it wasn't an accurate number, because I feel like that's your guy. That's your go-to guy. <laughs> Call the hotline, find out about the <laughs> yeah. numbers, yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, it's almost certainly uh, a work number, but you know what? That's a, there's a, a rich wrestling history of lying about how many people are at your show, so it is what it is. There's a great conversation that goes on forever in like uh, literary and creative nonfiction about what is the difference between nonfiction and fiction, and some people are very much like every single detail has to be the truth, even though our memories you know, kind of don't allow for that to happen. And then there's some people that say, well, are you telling a factual truth? Are you telling an emotional truth? So, you know, there are, there are different things. I think emotionally there might have been 100,000 people there, <laughs> you know. So they fell somewhere in the middle with their number, and Gene Arkelin delivered it. And there was a mean Gene chant in 1987 from the fans, so... 
Wild Tyne from a wild wrestling promotion who is currently conquering the world. Um, I think we dip back in time, though, for this next one, because I think it's Iron Sheik and Volkov versus the Killer Bees. Yep, still hanging around. Our Iron Sheik and Volkov uh, doing their thing. Oh, they'll be around uh, on and off more than you'd think, probably. Uh, here managed by Slick, since Freddie Blassie has retired. Um, yeah, you've got... Yeah, Nikolai Volkov is going to try to sing his Russian national anthem. And the guy that you didn't want to name, I'll name him here, Jim Duggan, yeah. runs down. Nothing to do with him. He's not on this card. He's just going to attack Nikolai Volkov <laughs> for singing. And Duggan <laughs> screams that Nikolai can't sing his anthem because this is the land of the free. And I want yeah. us all to sit and think about that for a second. Yes. 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 Because this it's is worthy. the land of the free, you are not free to respect your home country. You're free, You're free to do whatever comes out of the massive mind of Hacksaw Jim <laughs> Duggan. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, we will see a lot of um, xenophobia in this series, so here's here's a nice uh, little taste of it for you. I think this is why the NWA, though, is so masterful in their kind of feel-good. Like, you got either, like, the old school stuff that does this or then like trying to deliberately flip it on his head forever and acting like you're living in one narrative forever. They took a man who um, is a kind of play on all this stuff and gave him a homeland that I guess doesn't exist with a karate past that doesn't exist. And, you know, like it's great. It has its own lore and it's own like that. That fantastical world lives on. I was watching uh, Malcolm in the middle and one of the boys said, it's pronounced karate, and I was like, he is stealing from the NWA. <laughs> he knows about Mongrovia. Yeah. He knows about Mongrovia. <laughs> uh, great show. Great shout-out. Um, I'll admit, when you said NWA, though, I was definitely thinking, like, Nikita Koloff oh, oh, and the face oh, turn. No, no, no. But Mongrovia works, too. Absolutely. So, there you go. Yeah, they've just done a good job, though. It shows yeah. how fans want to receive things, but it does it in, like, this weird, playful way. And it shows, too, that, again, with fiction and nonfiction, sometimes it's nonfiction, but sometimes it's fiction. You know, and NWA... Again, there's a lot of NWA that reminds me more of like old school WWF than old school NWA, but it's interesting. Uh, this is I skipped a lot of this match. <laughs> uh, this is the only match on the card that I thought was actually quite lame. Um, I'm not that big into the Killer Bees. I like Brunzel, but I don't know. Some about the team doesn't do much for me. She can Volkov. It seems like they should be like in their right time period, but they already feel like like it's passed them by, uh, in my opinion. And then of course, yeah, you've yes. got Duggan just marching around at ringside like a moron and just uh, yeah, I don't know. This this was a lame match. This is the only match I really thought um I would have rather had not been on the card. Same. I will say though again a million times, Volkov is a very talented man. Yeah, I, uh, some people say that, so I gotta watch him more carefully, I guess, because I, I never had a problem with it, but I don't know if I ever saw that, so I'll wait for him to uh, win me over a bit more. I don't, know I don't know if I ever like the majority of the stuff he's in, but I just hate the stuff that he's in, so it's hard to even get at him. You know, because this one's gonna end with Jesse Ventura. Thank God for Jesse Ventura for as long as we have him as a truth. He says, alright, so the Hills are gonna win this matchup by disqualification because Hacksaw's gonna go off in the ring. 
And then after the match, Jesse says, why are the bees patting him on the back when he calls them the match? <laughs> Uh, yes, uh, definitely the moral victory, uh, quote-unquote moral, is more important than the actual victory uh, in this period, and also because, I don't know, the killer bees are lame and they have no uh, agency to use the word that you said, uh, they just sort of flit around and exist in yeah. their little bubble. <laughs> that is true. It seems to get darker, the mood changes, we are at the main event. It is Hulk Hogan and Andre Gene Okerlund with Andre the Giant for the second time says it's not going to take him too long to get this done. Bobby Heaton says he's going to make me famous. It's a lot of good stuff before this match even starts. Uh, we see footage, yes. and I'll say this. I appreciate that they dug up some footage of Hogan and Andre actually being friends and uh, yeah. even fighting against King Kong Bundy and Big John Studd. So, you know, maybe Andre was Hogan's mentor and maybe he wasn't, but there's video evidence that they fought the Bobby Heenan family together. So when you have an ally who goes to the other side, you know, that, 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 that does hurt. You know, there's some pain there that anyone I think might be able to relate to. And the thing that impressed me so much, number one, what you just said, number two, I think two of the videos Hulk Hogan is running in to help Andre. Yeah. So I needed I needed to see a little bit of that because it does. Yeah, I need to see him actually being the one who actually lends to the friendship instead of takes from it. You know, because that that adds to his narrative, because all all I see so far is, you know, kind of what fits with Hulk Hogan, which is he makes a narrative about something and it's all for his own gain. But at least there it was almost like Andre's the elder statesman. He's being beaten down. Hulk Hogan is rushing in excitedly to help the guy who is supposedly his mentor. So, yes. Some very good footage that goes a long way there. Absolutely. I also want to shout out, I think it was BK in the forums, who's not Brooklyn, which was surprising to me. Uh, <laughs> so that's my mistake. Um, but uh, I think it was Sam reminded me of something we I meant to talk about last week and I didn't. Um, and that's the, uh, well, we talked about the segment, but the I'm bleeding or you're bleeding yes. promo. Yes. Um, from Roddy Piper, and just the extra impact of that is covered in there. As we talk about Andre pulls the cross and the shirt off of Hogan, and Hogan does a really good job of being like heartbroken. But Roddy Piper, who and he doesn't like Hulk Hogan, he never did. Even as a face, he never liked Hulk Hogan. But to see the way so quietly he says you're bleeding and he's helping Hogan up and man just like the build of this match was so freaking incredible I love it like there's stuff that we haven't even touched on that was so great yeah they it is the storytelling equivalent of Shawn Michaels throwing Marty Janae through that window like something broke Hulk Hogan can't even see where he is Roddy Piper has a voice coming at him that is not Roddy Piper's voice, and it's almost asking a question rather than making a statement about your bleeding. Like, they're all disoriented because, like, you can like Hulkamania or you can hate Hulkamania, but you know what your foundation that you're standing on is, is Hulkamania, and it has been cracked at the foundation. And if Hogan is no longer the same, then Piper is no longer the same, then WrestleMania is no longer the same, then the fans in the audience are no longer the same. Everything is fractured and 
they are embodying the trauma of that moment. And it's as good as anything you can watch. I, I suggest watching it five, ten times. And I, like I said, I had my girlfriend watch it. And before she even watched it, I was like, oh, my God, I just made her sympathetic to Hulk Hogan. And sure enough, like I got an email back about how, how bad she felt for Hulk Hogan, how hurt he was. And I was like, oh, my God, I just did that. But because it's that good. Yeah. It is that good. It's some of the most effective stuff that Hulk Hogan ever did. It's some of the most effective stuff maybe that wrestling ever did. Uh, I was talking earlier about the difference between this and some other stuff is the weight of consequence that you feel. And you're Mm -hmm. right. Like, nothing can be the same. Nothing can be quite the same after this feud. That's the thing about some of these feuds that need to be mentioned. I'm so glad you said that because Hulk Hogan is going to beat Andre the Giant tonight. And yes, Andre the Giant is going to do some things later. He's going to pair up with Ted DiBiase, and some things are going to change that are consequential to Hulk Hogan. But I'm not even talking about that. Matches like this are so consequential that neither man is ever quite the same. Hulk Hogan both gains to a level that he could never have risen to without beating Andre. And I would suggest a crack in the shield of Hulkamania formed at the same time. Andre laid some punches physically, metaphorically like Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage. Like neither man will ever be. My God is sad how much they'll they'll never be the same. There'll be an, an unfortunate beef 20 years later or whatever. Hulk Hogan and ultimate warrior, like all of these matches, somebody prevails but neither man is the same and often in multiple ways. And we're going to sink down and we're going to enjoy the consequence of things because that is unpleasant a lot of times. That is what the kind of reflection reason I think that we listen and watch stories is because we know how consequential our lives are and we've made mistakes in our lives or we've not acted in our lives or we just wonder what would happen if And if you sell me something's going to happen and there's going to be no consequences or only one kind of consequences, then somewhere deep in my being, I know that you are selling me something that cannot be transported back to my lived experience. There has to be the complication of consequence because everything that happens matters and it changes trajectories forever. And we're sitting in that. And that's what the Legacy Series is about. Yes, yes, yes. Very well said. Uh, we're in something that is so big. It's bigger than than us, than and a lot of stuff we've been in before. This is it's pure aura. Is this match? It's uh, it's almost overwhelming when you put yourself into that mindset um, of that time and place. And like I said before, this is a match. My opinions change on a lot over the years, because there was a time where I was definitely in the camp of like, oh, well, they're slow, and, you know, it's not athletic, it's not exciting, it's not, you know, what I what I want to see from a wrestling match, so this match is garbage. Um, I'm sure some people still feel that way, it, it is what it is, but man, just, like, immersing myself in this world, and watching all the build, and feeling, like, the full picture here, I don't know. This match, um, I have a, a big place in my heart for it and for everything that it accomplished. Man, yes. I want to. Um, I made a note, but I also have a bad memory. But you just said overwhelming aura. 
I want us to bring that. That's part of what I'm talking about with the uh, whole space element, with trying to uh, examine this stuff. Like, where does that come from? And when when in future times will be, whether it's a character or a program or a match, will we be sitting in the presence of overwhelming aura? We need to really break that down because that is part of the conversation of WWF as a, as a whole, but especially of this era of WWF. So that you just you just gave us some tools with that language. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, I mean, uh, people talk about, like, the stare down and the slam, and that's, like, the narrative of the match. And to me, the slam is, it's almost an afterthought to everything else that happens here. But that, yes. before the match, when they're having their standoff, God, it's like it pushes through history to, like, press on you, to put a yes. pressure on you. Uh, if you're in a mindset to receive that, if you are receiving that feeling, uh, it'll transport you to that moment. Yeah, there is a feeling, whether it be whether it be part of the story or not, that Andre the Giant did not easily grant this victory. Like there really is kind of that disdain of Hulkamania, and I am bigger than you, and I am better than you, and if you beat me, it will be by the skin of your teeth. Um, Hulk Hogan is going to deliver another cult-like. Uh, the only thing I can say about this, this last promo, is that I lived, you know, for 20 plus years in a literal a community that had a literal interpretation of the Bible that was like in the forefront of our minds at all times. And part of that is there's going to be a rapture where people who are the true church are called away from the earth and the rest of the world is left in tribulation to suffer for seven years and probably die. And I always thought as a child, like. Oh my God, it's hard enough knowing that that's going to happen. But what about the people who don't know anything about Christianity? What are they going to think? Like, what's the story going to be when all these people disappear and we go into this tribulation? And that's the Hulk Hogan promo. Hulk Hogan says, 90,000 people are in danger because of this match. And no, it's not the 90,000 people in the building. They know what's up. And no, it's not the 90,000 outside the building who are Hulkamaniacs. They also know what's up. But that 90,000 who don't know anything about this, what are they going to feel when the earth shakes? When I slam Andre the Giant, these non-believers who don't know this event is happening, but yet the ripple effect of what happens in the match is going to reach everyone and change the trajectory of culture and life as we know it. That is the Hulk Hogan promo. And it, it is equal parts absurd and equal parts kind of honest about what happens out of WrestleMania 3. Yeah, um, <laughs> I gotta oh, process some of that because um, uh, my childhood wasn't quite that uh, intense in that department. But uh, I, mm-hmm. I, I, had, I, I had some of the same thoughts uh, at times. So we're not as far off as uh, you might think. Um, and uh, <laughs> the yeah, the shock waves, the earth shaking, um, definitely caused a lot of confusion. For those in uh, Michigan who do, who do not know about wrestling, because uh, <laughs> oh god, there is something about I, I, probably more promotions for you because you've watched more than I have. But Lucha Underground has this, whether it's the overwhelming auras or whether it is acting just on face value that what you're doing translates like cultures and times in history and just reaches 
like reaches beyond what it actually reaches. Like there's something that is brazen about booking like that and talking like that, but it also manifests something, whether it just be energy or sometimes actually the growth of companies. You know, so it's a weird thing that they, they this is what I meant by calling their shot. Like they're calling this enormous shot and they're kind of, they're, then they're kind of creating it. They are. Yeah. They, like we've talked about, this event was not such a big success by accident. Uh, they call their shot and they made it happen. So, ah, yeah, this main event. Um, mm. Before we get into the action itself, I have to mention uh, just a little something, a little aside. Jesse Ventura mentioned Blackjack Lanza is at ringside, a man that I love dearly, um, a member of the Heenan family, maybe Heenan's first client, so uh, unfortunate that he couldn't help his uh, man out here. But still, I just had to mention that because I love um, – Legends, who he's not even shown or anything. It's just like Jesse Ventura wanted to mention him, so I I, I love that. And that's a great, that's a great note. note, and that's great history, great legacy. And again, it reminds you that there's almost this one narrative where this whole night is about Bobby Heenan becoming the manager of the world champion. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, you know? you've already hit the nail on the head about this match. That the slam is an afterthought to me, like. I was getting nervous with them coming to the ring and them staring each other down. Like there is just so much like unwillingness to yield on both sides. Like I don't easily believe that even if I think I know the structure of the match and the outcome, you got to show it to me to make me believe it. And like, I, what bothers me sometimes of the many things with WWE, they'll book a match a year out, and I already know what both people are going to do in that match, and I don't even need to be shown it. You know, here I was watching them, having seen the match before, having gone through eras like Miz Fan, where I thought, hey, this match is not even good, but I'm watching it, and I'm like, you're not going to do anything like Hulk Hogan, like to this man. Like I, I, I got called up in your stories. They brought me back to my some troubled childhood moments. You know, props to that. But this is Andre the Giant, and within a minute, he's going to try to slam him, and Andre's going to land on him. And I almost thought the match ended. <laughs> oh man, that that is one of my favorite parts of the match. The the first attempted slam it fails, and we get an extremely close two count. And for years, Bobby Heenan will talk about that moment and how Andre actually did beat Hogan. Uh, it was a three count, and it was just the referee's error that it wasn't um, registered as the win right there and then. So you talk about consequence. You know, here's a moment that will come up again and again uh, in the narrative of Bobby Heenan, um, and it's it's great. You know, it, it's an awesome moment. So much about life, too, is, is our belief systems and what we're able to see and our set points for being able to see it. And I think in a world where we desperately need to stop being so offended by having some kind of belief system that moves us in a positive direction, Bobby Heenan embodies that. Like, I, if I were in this feud with Hulk Hogan, I, number one, it'd be hard to endure as long as Bobby Heenan did up till WrestleMania 3. But this would be the end of me. If I gave him Andre the Giant, like, which one is more difficult? Turning Andre the Giant against Hulk Hogan or having Andre beat Hulk Hogan? It's easily the first one. 
If you can get Andre to turn and cause the trauma that we talked about, then it's an afterthought that you're winning the belt. I would not have recovered from managing Andre the Giant and losing at WrestleMania 3. And I think how in the world did he do it? And Miz Van just told us how he did it. He did not focus on the fact that he lost the match. He focused on the on the fact that they pretty much had Hulk Hogan beat. And if I can come that close to beating Hulk Hogan this time, then eventually I will beat Hulk Hogan. That's unbelievable. That's not lying. That is choosing your own narrative out of a bunch that you get to choose from. And real quick, let me say this and I'll shut up. Okay. When he's in the announce booth in 1996 and Hulk Hogan turns heel, he beat Hulk Hogan on that night. And he endured to that night because of being able to do what you just said. But uh, it's it's uh, it's interesting because I'll talk about that. I want to go through it, you know, chronologically. We'll talk about this more in a little bit. But that is not the narrative that Heenan is feeling uh, right after this match is done. Because no. uh, there's an image that is burned in my mind after this match of Heenan despondent in despair over what happened um so we'll talk about that in a few minutes as we go through this match but yeah. um, he and losing is just as traumatic to him as if hulk hogan had lost sure absolutely um he i love he in this match i love he didn't always of course but man he is on like the edge of a knife this whole match and it's easy to kind of let that flatten out and just be like oh well you know any manager you know like, we've seen it a million times, doesn't mean something, but man, like, if you allow yourself to exist in that moment, I think, hopefully everyone has had this experience in life where you are on the edge of something, and it could go either way, and it is going to change your whole life, depending on just a few seconds, like, whatever the outcome is, it is going to have just a rocking impact on your life and put it in a whole new direction. And you can feel that as Heenan is going through this match, because he is the soundtrack of this match. He is yelling. He is telling Andre what to do. He is checking on Andre. He is just on the edge of a knife. Like I said, everything is teetering on this moment for Bobby Heenan. This is an A plus masterclass for exactly what you just said. And if I look back at my own life and some of the big moments, if I was Bobby Heenan, what I would have done in the first minute is run in and cause a disqualification because I couldn't take the potential of either outcome. And that's pathetic. Imagine watching this whole night and then it ends like that. That's what I would have done. And that's horrible. Be better than that, number one. Number two, this is the reason why when I became an adult and understood some things about like Lex Luger and Sting and others, they never got it like some of the people who got pro wrestling. So it, there's a difference. Anybody, like you said, could have gone out there and been like, I am a manager, and this is a big deal because it's a world title match. Bobby Heenan is embodying to, like, I, I can see his hands shaking. I can see his nervousness. Like, he understands how to live this moment to its fullest. This is, he's as good as Andre or Hulk Hogan in this. You could feel his whole life just shrinking down to this one point in time. I don't, for Bobby Heenan, I don't think anything exists outside of 
that ring and the ringside area. That is the entire universe for the length of this match for Bobby Heenan. Imagine something mattering too that much to you, but you, all you can do is watch it. You don't get you don't, Oh, God. Yeah, I, I don't envy uh, the character of Bobby Heenan in this moment because, uh, like, just to get the pressure off, I knew exactly what you meant by saying you would just run in and cause the disqualification. Because yeah. what a terrible moment to be on the precipice of where your life could almost be destroyed in a moment, or it could change so much that you won't even recognize it anymore. Ugh, wow. And you know, as someone who knows, like, the shape of matches, that when that referee calls a two, when that thing could have been a two or a three, it's not to say you can't win the match now, but you probably just shot your shot. And now you got to sit out there and watch the other side of that. That's unbearable. Man, yeah, to see that moment where it could have been over, it could have gone your way, and it didn't, yeah, it just throws you in a whole new world of doubt and uncertainty. Oh, my God. And you know win, lose, or draw, that at some point Hulk Hogan's going to like come back. Yep. And so you know that Andre came close to winning, and Hulk Hogan has not had his comeback. Right, you know everything Hogan can do, and if you could have just put him down in that one moment, you would have been safe from that, but you're not safe. Oh, my God. This is it's, it's unbelievable. This, this What we're talking about, folks, we are not even talking about... This is another thing about how do you judge the quality of a match because we have just been talking about Bobby Heenan the entire time, but yet I'd pay money to see that, and he's not even in the match. Like what? Where does that go in the in the in the in the uh, look uh, look at the match? Uh, for sure. And you really get the sense also. And this occurred to me while I was watching the match. I was thinking if Andre won that title, he would never lose it. With with mm-hmm. him being Andre and with Bobby Heenan as well, with every trick in his book to retain titles, who the hell would ever ever take that title? Of Andre the Giant. He would be champion until he died, you know? That is the great, great, great story of all the other great stories. Because whether you take the babyface side that Andre just never wanted a shot and he was having a good time, he never asked for a shot. Or you take the heel side that he was never granted a shot. Both sides come together with the realization that if he had wanted a shot or now that he wants a shot, everything in wrestling changes forever. So this is a moment I agree with you that is this Hulkamania like try to be back in this time where we don't know that Hulkamania overstays its welcome into the nineties. Like you don't know what if Hulkamania was a three year phenomenon that ends at the hands of Andre the Giant. Like you don't know that and you can't say it's not going to. And Andre the Giant just has something in his face. That makes me believe like he wants to have a Hulkamania run and he thinks he deserves it. And I don't take that lightly. So even in the match, I was like, no, Hogan cannot move this guy. And it almost this is really the whatever Grill Monson is gonna say, as much as Tony Chavine says uh, the greatest this and that, the ir- the irresistible force meeting the immovable object. That cliche starts being a cliche after Hogan Andre. Hogan Andre is the embodiment of it. <laughs> I'll, I'll go you one better. Uh, it's the iconic moment because yeah. Yeah. Gorilla Monsoon 
Um, this is everyone remembers him saying it here. He said that about two thousand times in like every match where he thought he could make it apply, but no one remembers it from then because this is the time when it was the most real. This is the time when it was iconic. Yeah. And again, it's a different Hogan because the, the Hogan that got just grabbed by the head and thrown over the top rope, maybe he didn't have as much power then, or maybe when you're hotter, you don't have to force as much. But like the man almost got pinned or maybe got pinned. I, I really, I got to watch it again within a minute of this match. And that just breaks that whole stereotype of what you think is going to happen in one of these matches. It's like the man just got beaten under a minute and I, I think he got beat, you know, and. So is he going to come back? Maybe. But then like when he punches Andre in the head, it looks like it would hurt Hogan's hand and not Andre's head. When he tries to move Andre, it looks like he moves and Andre doesn't. So like when and where is this tide going to turn? I know he's going to try to turn it, but trying to turn it is not turning it when the thing that you're turning is Andre the Giant. You're, so you're it's a story. Turning, probably around him. You're in his orbit because yeah. he's freaking Andre. <laughs> um, Andre. Yeah, to talk about the actual um, action of the match a bit more, it's very smart. Um, people talk a lot, the narrative of this match is like, oh, Andre was so broken down, he couldn't do anything, couldn't move. Yeah. I don't think that's really true. Um, I think this match shows that it's not true. Andre obviously wasn't doing uh, the things he had done five, ten years before. So if you want to say there's some effect on Andre, uh, that's true, I think. But they work around it so well, uh, and WWF will do a lot to work around the limitations of Andre in a very good way, I think. Um, you have Hogan hurting his back, almost getting pinned, almost right out of the gate, and he just can't make any progress. So Andre, even if he is moving slowly, it doesn't matter because Hogan also has this uh, injury to overcome, and... Also, everything Andre does looks so credible because he is so large physically and in his aura that it doesn't matter if he's doing it a bit slowly. It looks credible uh, with the slightest suspension of disbelief, I think. I agree with every word. There's a such thing as overcompensation. Uh, You know what you need someone to do? You need them to do what you need them to do. And... I think this is going to be one of the truths that's going to emerge for me is that the more like Hulk Hogan, for example, to me, does a lot less here than he does in his some of his WCW Hulkamania run. Did did he get better? Is anybody in the world going to argue he was better in his WCW Hulkamania run or did he have to do more because he had to overcompensate because he wasn't really that over? So sometimes. You don't have to do it because what's already done is baked into the cake. Everything is ready. Andre does a little knee lift. Andre takes his time. Andre needs to take his time. Uh, if there were a lot more uh, falls, then the falls would be a lot cheaper. Like when somebody falls down in this match, no matter who it is, I don't know that they're getting back up. I think the match might be over. So it is what it needs to be. And I will argue, I don't care. I don't care one bit if if this is... 80% Andre versus 100, like, because I could easily say if he was, that I could say he's not 100% Andre, but even if he was, he should still do exactly what he did. <laughs> right, yeah, like, I don't think, it would have been better, it would not have been better in the ways that were important if he had been out there, you know, doing drop kicks and, you know, yeah. whatever yeah. else he could do at his peak. Uh, it would have been 
more exciting, I guess, maybe for fans of a certain type of match, and I get that, but it would not have been better in the ways that really mattered here. Yeah, the match for what it was would have been worse. Right, sure. You know, because I can't even explain the threat of Andre not being able to move, because for for whatever offense he can't do, again, that that feels to me like the viewer, as a viewer, that he can't move, anything he can't move on offense, he also can't be moved. Like, you're not going to move this man. If he's doing drop kicks, all that would tell me is that the man can go off his feet rather easily. So, this is just, there's no flinching. Andre the Giant, to me, I feel like there's just as true a narrative that Bobby Heenan and Andre were supposed to win this. You know, nothing is set up, and Hulk Hogan squeaks. It's so hard to say. This is the 93,000... This is WrestleMania three, and Hulk Hogan squeaks away with a victory. Yeah, he damn near uh, doesn't get it. Um, there's there's some great moments in this match where Hogan does seem like he's coming back, uh, only for it to get shut down. And every time you're like, is that the last time that Hogan's gonna be able to, you know, muster that because his back's hurting and he's up against yeah. this like unbelievable. Uh, object that that can't be moved they can't be hurt um it's great and uh, every time hogan does come back like the the crowd is shaking the building is shaking you know like there, there's a, a an arm drop spot where andre has him in like a, a bear hug um and uh, hogan's arm doesn't drop the third time and the crowd is just like losing their minds they're tearing their hair out they're how excited about this it's hulkamania in its least cheesy iteration like it feels in this moment like it's everything hogan would say it was and there's a lot of times where he was lying but in this moment hulkamania it does feel like it's just it's like life it's everything it's the irony of the world that we live in because andre does have some authority like hulk hogan cannot just do whatever he wants in this and it's so hard to understand that not allowing yourself to be run away with the thing that can take you away, like you need to keep the tension. Like you think about when we did WCW the Legacy Series and the, the whole plan of Hogan beats Flair, Flair beats Hogan, Hogan beats Flair turns into Hogan beats Flair, and Hogan beats Flair, and Hogan beats Flair, and Hogan moves into a few with Beefcake. You know, the more Hulk Hogan earned from having to actually have a tension, the less he had the tension and the more the earning was slowly going to go back down the other side. So we're sitting in the perfect moment where Hulkamania is big enough to have like had this peak experience, but he can't just tell Vince McMahon and Andre to do whatever the hell he wants. Like it's just a perfect moment. And you're right. It is like everything about Hulkamania, whether you like it or not, is true. And there probably are 90,000 people who don't know this event is going on. They, in one way or another, are going to hear about it and feel the effects of it when it's done. Absolutely. Moving to the end game, Andre finally gets knocked off his feet, uh, which just seems nuts by itself. Uh, There's an image where he's like down. He's like lying across the bottom rope. And Heenan is reaching in and like patting him and trying to make sure that he's okay, that he's alive, he's going to come back. You've got Hogan just shaking 
from just the pure energy of this. Uh, and then, yeah, you get the slam, which I'll say it till I'm blue in the face. The, the narrative that this match was about the slam is just ridiculous because um, it was a means to an end. It was a, it was a good moment, but yeah. it's not the moment of the match. Um, there a thousand other moments go ahead of this one. Uh, Hogan does get the leg drop, gets the win. Hulk Hogan wins. History is made. God, it's, the the iconic moment, if we want to do that, to me is Andre laying in that first row with Bobby Heenan patting his face. Because to me, the great Hulk Hogan victory is not defeating Andre. It is pushing Andre's offense off of him. Like, it took more to escape the offense of, uh, than to finish it once it was done. And that is that moment where Hogan is pushed off a little bit finally, but not made his return. And Bobby Heenan, like you said, he's encouraging him to come back, but come on. You know, we know we now, we know now. It's pre-slam, and we now know. So, God, what a, what a, what a, what a detrimental moment and what a consequential moment. It's unbelievable. The end of WrestleMania 3, Hulk Hogan prevails over an agent for Bobby Heenan that seems so unlikely, and still Hulk Hogan prevails. Yep. I will never lose the image of Bobby Heenan riding back in that little ring cart, um, the little mini ring which just moved people from the back to the, the ringside area. He's just hunched over. His head is in his hands. And he's just despondent. He knows somewhere deep down that he missed the most important chance of his life, that it didn't happen, even though everything said it should have happened. And he will fight Hogan through multiple companies just to the end of the line. But I think he knows in this moment, deep down, that if it didn't happen here, it's never going to happen. And at Hulk Hogan, it would be so much easier to say, Number one, either Hogan's so crooked that they get away with it, or the power of Hulkamania is so much that I just lose to it. But you have to know on that ride back for the rest of your life. It's just as much on you and Andre, maybe more so than Hulk Hogan. It was yours to lose. And yet there you are in that long ride back. Losing not only a match, but losing the narrative and the war with Hulk Hogan for the rest of your life, seemingly. Yeah, it's a personal tragedy for for this man. Um, what has happened? It impacts him in a way that is hard to put into words, and it makes it make all the more sense that when he recovers, he will latch onto the one thing that didn't go his way that he thought should have. That one moment, at the start of the match, where it could have been a three count, it was called a two count. And, like, that's his lifeline. Like, he hangs on to that so hard. I don't think I would have recovered, and I think that's the difference. Sure. Well, you would have run in for the DQ a long time ago, so. Yeah. Imagine imagine living with that. Like, you'd be fired, number one, because Vincent Mann would be furious. Uh, and, like, nobody in the wrestling world would want to see you. And, you know, it's just the way it is. And he, he, he withstood that. And like you said, it doesn't make him absent of the crushing defeat. Like he's going to be in despair, but eventually how do you come out of it? And there's only one way to come out of it, and you got to tell yourself we are storytelling animals. And you got to tell yourself a story that allows you to continue on, and 
the closer it is to a reality that you can justify. Because I, I know some people that don't need to be able to justify their realities. I am someone. I wish I was more like that sometimes, but I need to like whether it's true or not. I need to believe it in an evidential way. And that is a moment where it's so genius. I'm so glad you brought that up, though, because you can make that moment into anything you want. Because I really thought, my God, because Hulk Hogan kicks out, I think, but he kicks out on the side that the ref didn't really see it. So I don't even know why the match didn't end. You know, it's that close. And that's your moment. That's your hook. And the fact that he's going to use that to come back to life and still not prevail over Hulk Hogan. Like, it's just... Only in the Legacy series are we going to talk about Bobby Heenan, the heel manager, the weasel, as an inspirational figure about how to contend in life. The man, he's out there. He's on that battlefield. Just as much as Hulk Hogan, folks. He's got just as much on the line. And maybe more here because Andre should have been the one to do it. And, like, who are you looking at? Like, how far are we away from, like, oh, well, the Hercules had a match, too, that night. Like, how far are we from anything else that happened on the show when Bobby Heenan's riding away? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's uh, it's it's big. It's hard to even articulate it farther than we have already. Um, just enormous. And it's interesting because you're talking about oh, well, if you caused the DQ in this match, you'd be you know fired and thrown <laughs> out of wrestling. But man, how easy would it have been in this era? to deliver some kind of non-finish, to protect Andre, to protect Hogan, uh, to do some kind of disqualification, some count-out. They weren't above doing that kind of thing. So it's like another thing where you look back and it's like a foregone conclusion, but it it wasn't at the time. You know, they easily could have done that if they had (laughs) really wanted to, and it would have been a huge mistake, but in the moment... You don't know, you know, what if this like ruins the appeal of Andre for for everybody? You know, you have to take a chance here, but they 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 executed it perfectly. Yeah, that, that's so true because this this is an error that could have happened, and again the consequences. We had a great, we had a 568 pound sacrifice for the WWF WrestleMania Hulkamania. Like Andre the Giant laid something down uh, in this encounter, and again though I'm contradicting myself even even as I'm trying to you know. Talk about you got to have this positive psychology. You got to build in it. Like if Bobby Heenan calls that disqualification, he would have sucked that heat up and become <laughs> become the greatest heel to a whole nother level, you know. So no matter what the circumstance is, like either you find that way. I'm already like disqualifying myself from a company that I'm not even in, you know, banishing myself. Bobby Heenan teaches us differently, man. I really respect that grind, and it's interesting that when Hulkamania encounters Andre again. Later on, with some consequence, that Ted DiBiase is going to be there. Yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. We are not done with Hogan Andre. We are not done with Hogan Heenan. Uh, we are not done with the saga of this era, which will continue on and move towards WrestleMania 4 and all the yeah. crazy stuff that comes in between those two times. So we're going to have a lot to talk about. Yeah, that's the, the evidence again and again is that this era mattered and reached its heights because it should have. And we are in the heartbeat of it right now. We're just like bouncing up and down like a trampoline off the heartbeat of this era. Uh, all right. That, uh, that's the biggest show of all time, or one of them, certainly. Um, 
God, I don't know if there's any more that we can say about it. Uh, what are your What are your closing thoughts on this ridiculously large night? I think the main thing is it justifies itself. Go back and watch it. It might not do it every minute. It's a different era. It's a different time. But it justifies itself. And I think, again, the thing that I'm just as excited on the other side of it as I was before. So, again, it's also not the event that just ends everything and we just start over again. So that matters. It does. Uh, we will return next with WWF The Legacy Series for the May 2nd, 1987 Saturday night's main event. On that card, we have Jake Roberts versus Kamala, who will be showing up, a man uh, who I know is in your little box of oddities. Uh, so that will be interesting. Uh, we have Randy Savage with Miss Elizabeth taking on George Steele with Ricky Steamboat in a lumberjack match. Lord have mercy, there yep. you, that that war went on. <laughs> <laughs> it did, it did. Uh, we have the Hard Foundation taking on the British Bulldogs in best two out of three falls match. We have Ricky Steamboat versus Hercules. We got a lot of stuff coming up on this card. Uh, it's going to be an interesting one. So uh, our road to WrestleMania four is going to start very quickly here. I'm excited about everything that you just said for that show. So. Yep. We got a lot to look forward to. A small note that we did not mention. Gorilla Monsoon acknowledges the fans cheering Randy Savage on the way to the ring at WrestleMania 3, and that is not without some consequence as well. Yeah, indeed. Uh, the the change of Savage uh, between WrestleMania 3 and WrestleMania 4 is definitely something I want to look closely at because even having watched a lot of this stuff, I feel like I don't have a complete picture of how that happened. It's... Um, I don't know. I'll just be interested to look at it again because I don't know if I missed something or maybe uh, it's just one of those turns that just sort of happens and it's not necessarily a big moment. But I don't know. I want to look closely at it for sure. Yeah, I have no frame for it. I know uh, Bruce Pritchard was talking about they hit him wrestling heels on house shows somewhere this year, kind of kind of figuring out, like, what do we have on our hands right now? Like, have, they, have they already turned him? So... In a way, I don't know how much of it was planned and how much of it was the fans just made it happen. But Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, so, all right, we'll be back next week with that. 1987 will roll on. Uh, until then, thank you for listening to the show. I'm on Twitter. I'm at Spectral Gent. Give me a shout. Give me a follow. Check out the great programs on LOP Radio, as well as all the great written material on uh, WrestlingHeadlines.com, a.k.a. LordsOfPain.net and uh, especially LOPforums.com, which is a great place to come and join the conversation. That is all we've got. So WrestleMania 3, done in the books. Mystic, take us home. Absolutely. Absolutely. Until next time, don't let the legacy be dictated to you. Rewatch, revisit, rewrite. I saw an undiscovered creature Climbing on the mountainside You know that no one else believed me How about that? With green eyes and white stripes and salty tears I knew that these were just its cautionary features Keep telling myself nothing to fear 
It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared The undiscovered creature The undiscovered creature I've never saw this one in books Or heard a myth of it Looks like it came from underwater I thought I'd seen every life form But there it is An undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared The undiscovered creature stripes and salted tears I knew that these were just its cautionary features keep telling myself nothing to fear it's just an undiscovered creature coming up to meet ya he's the one that's scared it's just an undiscovered creature coming up to meet ya he's the one that's scared Discovered creature